number 49, not the one that Eddie fucked up. That's right, folks. This week, I'm going to hopefully edit the show correctly. <laughs> Probably not, but we'll see. There's nothing quite like getting him texted like 11 o'clock at night being like, uh, dude, we might have lost the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out sync is a hard problem to solve uh, because here we are like uh, 20 years later and syncing shit is still not perfect. Like, okay, here's the, the, um, the sin I committed here. I had the audacity, the sheer audacity, to rename a folder. Okay, let's take it all the way back to the beginning, though. In fairness, first, I did rename it while I was syncing, probably. First, you had the audacity to name episode 47, episode 48. What? Like, I I just host this shit. Like, I'm supposed which, to know what episode we're doing? Which then prompted me last week when I was saving the show, which actually was 48, to, to call it 48A. So then there was a 48 and a 48A, and Eddie was like, I can't handle this. No. I had to immediately rename them. So as soon as it showed up on my machine. So uh, for those of you playing in the home game, uh, the way that we get the show to my computer to be edited is we use this program called BT Sync or BitTorrent Sync. It's nice in the fact that it uses the BitTorrent protocol. So uh, nothing goes to other servers. We don't have to worry about um, file upload limits and all that kind of bullshit. The only downside is it's limited by... um, our upload speeds so it would be nice to have a little bit more peer-to-peer because then we could you know get the upload speeds up you hear that comcast yeah we're talking comcast. to you it's a joke it's a joke the upload speeds we have in 2016 although in fairness my down speed is finally over 100 megs which i think they had in south korea like 15 years ago or something yeah, like i that. pull like 120 down i think but i yeah. upload it four yeah so uh comcast doesn't care about our upload speeds like upload speeds matter a hashtag um <laughs> it's the new movement yeah definitely um because there's not enough uh white people complaining about shit that doesn't matter right uh, anyway so we use this BitTorrent sync thing and uh it showed up on my machine and it's syncing and i wasn't really paying enough attention so i renamed the folder and then i renamed the folder and everything of course stopped syncing and i was like well shit it's not there yeah. Now what do we do? And so I looked and there's like a, you know, like on Dropbox, you can go to the web interface and you can restore revisions and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I got to find something like that. And I found something kind of like that in BitTorrent Sync, which is their archive folder, um, which, you know, is supposed to protect against deletions and stuff like that. But it's not actually deleted from my machine because uh, it never showed up on my machine. I just fucked up the sync process. So then, yeah, I text Matt. I was like, I don't know, but I think I might have ruined it because the second thing I did was I have Matt's... Um, or I have a login credentials for Matt's NAS, uh, his network network attached storage device from QNAP, which comes with a fancy web interface. So, you know, if you want to do things like through the web interface and download stuff there. So it's like, oh, it's no problem. It just didn't sync. I'll go to the web interface and I'll download it from there. Except for it didn't. And so then I panicked and I was like, well, I fucked up the episode and we're going to have to do that all again. And then I was like, no, wait, maybe check the thing on your side. And so it turns out the thing was on his side still, and we restored. And that is a long way of saying you got to listen to the last episode uh, yeah. as it uh, was originally intended. And and we touched on some things that I don't think we've ever talked about. Like, we usually record at my house. In fact, we've always recorded at my house. We've never recorded anywhere else, really. Um, yeah. But uh, getting the show from me to Eddie has been uh, interesting. We, yeah. I think the first episode, we put it on a hard drive, and he just took it with him. Yeah, we were using flash drives for the first like five or six episodes. Yeah, um, and then just... after that, we were like, well, fuck that. And then I, we started using a OneDrive account, mm-hmm. and then that still required me to work. 
It, same for me. Like I had to go to OneDrive and actually like download it on purpose. I had to put shit in OneDrive. So yeah, goddamn. <clears throat> when when I got the QNAP, we had it set up and we actually mapped a drive directly to the computer that we record on and um that was all well and good and then for a while like he was going and downloading it from the web interface like he talked about and then just like three four months ago he was like hey let's try bt sync yeah and ever since then our world has changed yeah it's been actually super solid and i've been really impressed with the application except for the fact that it doesn't like it when you change things mid-sync uh which now i know my bad. And nothing does, really. No, I know. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not even sure. Like, I, I kind of want to test it with Dropbox and see what Dropbox would have done. But I'm guessing it would have, you know, pissed the bed, uh, shit the bed even. Um, it might have. Like, it might have even fucked the dog. Yeah, it I'm might not have even fucked sure. the dog. <laughs> I'm just saying, it probably wouldn't have been pretty. Like, I don't think it would have worked. Uh, so, anyway, we got that all figured out and we managed to actually, you know, do the show. So Yeah, and here we are doing it again. And... This is going to be, it to us, it feels like we just did this because we really just did. And Eddie actually got the show cut and posted in record time this week. Yeah, I felt kind of bad because um, we, I think, not too long ago espoused our technological woes. Which is really funny because uh, Matt is IT by trade. And yeah. I would certainly call myself an enthusiast. Uh, you know, like I, I, can, I can, I know a couple of programming languages, kind of. Um, you know, I can swim in the the bass shell on my own, mostly without a life jacket. You know, like I can get around the whole Windows group policy bullshit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, apparently, like transferring one file from one computer to another computer, that is our Achilles heel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're better now. Yeah. This this podcast actually kind of forced our hand technologically speaking because we're like let's do a podcast it should be easy and then we're like well fuck how do we do this yeah and then we did the interview with marvin we're like well fuck how do we record us and him yeah (laughs) and then i inadvertently discovered something that basically every podcaster or professional audio person knows and i can't even remember what it's called (laughs) Um, yeah 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 but you know I mean, this is, this is how we learn, though. The, the, okay, so here's the thing. This is completely off topic from our normal show, but I think this is, this is a bit of a personality trait. Like, if you're fairly good at IT, or it doesn't even have to be IT. I would say mechanics is another one that's very, very similar. Like, you just like taking shit apart. Like, basically, you like taking shit apart and figuring out how it works. Like, you've got a mind for that. That, generally speaking, makes you good at IT. Like, uh, my wife is always coming to me with problems with, you know, electronics and whatever. Like, the dryer breaks, and my wife's like, well, the dryer's broken. You better figure that shit out. And I was like, oh, it's cool. I went to dryer school for the last, you know, four years, and I've totally got my degree in dryer economics or whatever. So, I can totally do that. And no, it's not. It's not like that at all. I just, I take it apart, and then hopefully I'll be able to put it back together again. What's funny is they do that on purpose. Like a dryer or whatever like they know damn well we don't want to fix it but then they mention it and then we're like well how does that work yeah exactly (laughs) um and it's the same thing not just my wife i mean just basically everybody like don't you find yourself inundated with problems like well of course your job is like uh my you know my mouse pointer won't work and you go to fix it for me and then you're like well you have to plug it in um but like i find that that's pretty common too like people my friends and stuff like that will bring me you know problems like i i can't get my dvd player to work right and you know of of course family family is probably the worst offender of these types of things but they bring you your their technological problems and you're like 
yeah, of course I'll use all my training and heavy background in this type of problem exactly. And I'll solve it. And it's like, no, not really. I'll just tinker with it and hopefully I'll get close. Like every time I write any sort of programming whatsoever, anytime I do any sort of programming, that is basically the entire, uh, um, experience for me like I never feel like I've like sit down and it's like you know when you when you sit down with a box of Legos and it's got the instructions and you go okay step one attach the the four prong thingy to the two prong thingy step two you know go through there and you know exactly what you're doing the whole time no with programming for me it's always like I feel like I am taking the the, you know my hammer because I only have one tool essentially and then I'm taking my nail and I'm just bashing that shit into whatever is in front of me and then eventually something will get nailed together and then boom programming that's a product consequently that's why he also has three kids because he just bashing that nail (laughs) keeps nailing whatever in front of him no um it's just lucky it happens to be my wife every time otherwise that would be a really awkward situation yeah you'd probably be in a lot of trouble yeah Windows problems, networking in specific, um, I'm an overthinker. Oh, definitely. Me too. And uh, like I, nine times out of ten, and my wife will, will testify to this as well, like I will be working on a problem like for six hours in a day and not figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'll go to bed and I'll be asleep for like two hours. And then all of a sudden my brain's like, hey, I bet if you do this, this will work. And so I just like jump out of bed and come down here and do it and it works and I'm fine. Oh, yeah. What drives me... Okay, so I've definitely done that. Like, the whole, you know, uh, two in the morning, I gotta go fix that shit uh, sort of uh, thing. You know, we wake up and, and exactly that sort of feeling. Networking, though, in particular for me is, like, uh, none of this works, and I've tried every single possible function that my router or, you know, available networking devices will let me do it. What the fuck? I'll just I'll unplug it and plug it back in again. Again. You know, for the 47th time. And then all of a sudden it works. Dude, if you ever had to try and set up file shares, um, oh, definitely, like pre Windows Seven with like a pre DDWRT router and whatnot, like you've you've basically been through like the shit. Like yeah. that is that is the nom of IT. Like. <laughs> uh, I uh, I had to set up uh, with a mixed mixed environment, so anything from Windows. I want to say XP through Windows 8. I had to set up computers to share those with our company office. And I think that's actually one of the few occasions where I've ever gone outside of, you know, Google for actual help. Like, I actually text Matt and was like, so do you know what the fuck's going on here? Uh, be- because of that exact sort of situation, like, I was just sitting there trying to get this thing to work and trying every single possible combination of, you know, Google tips and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong, like, I do have some understanding of how this stuff works. At, like, at a basic level. Like, I understand how a combustion engine works at a basic level. I don't know every single little doodad involved, you know. Like I know I, there's there's some sparks and they catch some shit on fire and then yeah. it makes things move. There's pistons and they go up and down when there's an explosion and there's a, you know, engine gasket and all that kind of stuff like that. Like I get the basics of how this works. So it's not like I'm completely clueless, but like this is one of those rare times where I felt completely clueless. It's like I've done this a million times. Like I've got a home network at my own house and that shit all manages to talk together. And I've set that up like a half a dozen times because I'm forever, you know, finding an, a new way to invent or break whatever I've got in front of me. Um, but this I could not get to work. And, you know, eventually it basically just came down to voodoo. Like all of a sudden, for reasons I'm not entirely sure, it kind of came together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mixed environments suck. And, and, you know, here's the deal. Hospitals and other companies that don't want to move on from it. 
fuck Windows XP. Like, fuck it right in its asshole. You can't still be using Windows XP. Like, in this day and age, if you're still using Windows XP, you're just being irresponsible. I have three machines on campus right now that still use it, and I'm so pissed off about it right now. Like, I just don't have time to, like, replace them right. Otherwise, I would do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I'm just saying, like, there's a ton of people and businesses that are out there still using Windows XP machines and things like that. And what they don't realize is that as each day goes by, they're just bending over and spreading those cheeks wider and wider. Like, the the potential for you to get totally fucked is, like, right there, and it just ever-increasingly gets larger. Um, anyway, that's a colorful metaphor, if I ever said one myself. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about other metaphors like that when we talk about Harley Quinn number one. I assume that's going <laughs> to... I'm sure there's going to be lots of swearing, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And so, let's let's move on to the show proper. Yeah, let's... I saw um, some shit about Star Wars. Yeah. So, the shit about Star Wars. Um, ABC is apparently in talks to do a Star Wars show. Mm. A series. Mm. As reported by Entertainment Weekly. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm excited because there's going to be a Christmas special. Their forays into television, I was going to say, like thus far, have been somewhat lackluster. We've had the Christmas special that, if Lucas has his way, will never, ever, ever see the light of day. Although, if you're uh, handy with BitTorrent, you you can find it. Yeah. Uh, the Ewoks cartoon show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't know though. the The Netflix properties are doing well. Like the well, the Clone Wars that start out on the Cartoon Network, I mm-hmm. think, and then like uh, what's what's the newer one? Rebels, which is, is actually is also a, very good. Is that Cartoon Network too, or is that Netflix? I believe no. Actually, that's Disney. It's like their is it Disney. Yeah, it's it's their XD brand, so gotcha. it's still in the Disney Channel, but it's like for grown up kids essentially. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, those have been pretty decent, but. Uh, I don't know about network TV. Okay, so here's the thing. If you would have said... Okay, now this is a fairly good example of the days that we live in. If you would have said Netflix, if you would have said they're coming to Netflix with a series, I'd have been like, fuck yes. And then I would have just sat there cradling my erection until I could watch the first episode. Um, but no, they said ABC and I was like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, yeah I worry I worry when, when, when we talk about things like that. It's like... Um, did you ever hear the story of Splinter of the Mind's Eye? No. Like, you, you've you read it, though, or are somewhat familiar with the property of Splinter of, of the Mind's Honestly, Eye? Honestly, not really. Like, uh, I'm assuming we're talking about a book, and I have not read basically any of the it, Star Wars books. It was a book. It was written by Alan Dean Foster, and it was written, actually, uh, before uh, Star Wars was really... Um, I think it was published in 1978, so he started rewriting it before um, Episode Four even came out in theaters. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was because Lucas was hedging his bets. Um, and if the movie didn't do well, he figured he could at least sell another book mm-hmm. uh, to the people that did like it. Um, and then he, the plan was to make it a movie. It was just going to be a lower budget movie. Um, but Alan Dean Foster's hands were super tied when he did it because he was writing a Star Wars story that was taking place after a, a movie that he hadn't seen yet. Mm. and he couldn't use Han Solo in it because Harrison Ford up to that point had not signed any kind of deal to do a sequel or anything else. 
and Lucas was really adamant that this this book had to be able to be a movie, mm. and so it didn't have Chewie or Han in it. Um, and it was just one of those things that like, I don't know, man. Like he it was it was planned to be a poorly done movie, and I don't see anything else happening with a Star Wars TV series for network television. You know, I I don't know. I want to remain optimistic about this because it, the time is ripe. Like, TV is by far where my favorite stories get told these days. Like, I do love me some good, you know, popcorn action flicks. But as far as, like, my favorite stories probably come off of TV these days. And TV is really good these days. Like, the um, so many different shows that are basically just amazing. Uh, Game of Thrones, Sons of Anarchy, uh, you know, just to name a few that we've talked about on the show a little yeah. bit. Uh, the Walking Dead, which is going to be coming back soon, which we've talked about on the show quite a bit. Um, Stranger Things, which I just started on Netflix, is amazing. Um, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. My God, I've been watching Mr. Robot. I basically binged it like three or four weeks ago, the first season, and I've been watching season two as it came out, and that's an amazing show, especially you know as, as a nerd uh, who likes to see uh, computery bullshit done on TV relatively well. Uh, just awesome. Uh, yeah. So, gosh, you know, and before that, Breaking Bad, we've got so many just amazing TV properties that are coming out left and right now. And basically everybody and their mother is like, oh, yeah, you put out some good TV. Well, fuck you. I'm going to put out some better TV like uh, this is happening between Netflix, Amazon, HBO, um, FX, uh, AMC. Everybody is just like one upping each other left and right. So I want one of the big dogs, ABC, NBC, Fox to come back in and say, like, oh, yeah, we'll check this out. Um, but instead, they just keep shoveling out Drek. Well, here's the deal. I'm less concerned for a Star Wars show that's, like, just shitty and cheesy as all fuck like the, the Christmas special was. And I'm more concerned with the fact that, a la Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it'll take three seasons before it's like, oh, this is really good. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think fans are going to give a Star Wars show more than one season to be good. See, what I think the big problem is, is that I want them to kind of like, it's hard to nail the tone for, for agents. I think it's a little bit difficult to nail the tone and just the general storytelling because, um, there's a lot of budget that goes into the mainstream Marvel movies. And don't get me wrong. There's a ton of budget that goes into star Wars, but you know what else was a really good show set in space that had a shoestring budget firefly. And you know what else wasn't all that dissimilar in tone uh, from Star Wars? Firefly. So if you could just take a little page out of that book and um, sort of do some of that shit in a Star Wars TV show. Go brown cuts. Yeah, you'd be fine. You'd be fine. Um, So what I don't want them to do is get a little too campy, too family friendly and uh, be totally lame. And I also don't want it to to... have a white Wookiee sing some R&B soul. Wait, we don't want that? No. Okay. I guess. Whatever. We'll compromise. Um, Agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this episode title, The White Wookiee. Um, but yeah, uh, I just think it's going to take somebody who has an idea, you know, for what this show really could be and who, you know, I don't know. It's it's one of those things that like all of us nerds have been sitting around saying, you know what I really want? I want this TV show and we've got our picture in, in the head and I think we are all probably picturing pretty close to the same thing and then they seem to come out and do a curveball a lot of the time. It's the same thing with like adaptations, like any sort of comic or book adaptation. You have in your mind's eye like, oh, this is what that should look like and 
it's more often uh, something really far away from that, which almost generally means the thing is bad. Yeah. Um, or almost usually means the thing is bad, uh, then, then it is actually correct. And yeah. when it is correct, like, it's really funny how well that the properties who are just like, Hey, that's exactly like the thing in the source material. And this movie's so good. You know, like it's, it's really funny how often that happens. And it's like a big shock. Like, oh, you made it exactly like the thing that everybody I, loves. And it's really so good. Duh. I've learned some lessons about television shows too. And like the primary one that I've learned is like, when I'm talking to a group of like-minded individuals and I have to try really hard to convince the group as a whole that whatever show I'm talking about is a good show, chances are good it's not really a good show. <laughs> I mean, there are exceptions because Firefly kind of falls under that that uh, umbrella there um, because most nobody nobody's ever heard of it. And at the time, like for a really long time, you'd be like, well, it's a show by Joss Whedon. And they'd be like, who? And you'd be like, he did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And if they weren't already Buffy the Buffy fans, then they were like, the fuck, Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Who the fuck cares? Yeah, Yeah, who the fuck cares? Uh, See, I was fortunate, too, with Firefly, because I didn't actually watch it until it was over. As did most of the brown coats, honestly. And uh, I wasn't plagued by the, well, these episodes aren't being shown in order, so nothing makes sense thing, like everybody that watched it on TV was. Yeah. So... I mean, it is what it is. I mean, if I, I probably would have been of the of the same group that was like, "What the fuck is going on with this show? Like, is this Fox fucking up, or is this just bad writing?" Like, yeah, um, man, they they just did everything when that show was airing to try to kill it. Like, aside from the fact that they showed the whole thing out of order, they also preempted it several times. Yeah. from sports, I think it was baseball season. So, sorry, Bryce, who's not here, so fuck you. Uh, it, they, it got preempted by I'm baseball, a huge baseball quite a lot too. But I mean, like. And Fox really only has baseball in the postseason, so it must have, like, it's 13, 14 episodes. We got 12 that were aired. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say probably playoffs and World Series through a I good think portion so, yeah. of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Quite yeah. A bit. And it's, it's a fucking shitty break. Yeah. It just makes it really hard if you like watching a show. Like, this is the thing that I love about today because I don't think that Firefly would have a difficult uh, time finding an audience today because now it's totally normal to time shift everything. Like, nobody expects that you actually sit down and watch a show on the time and day that it actually airs on the TV. If you even watch a show that even airs on TV, like, a lot of the stuff I'm watching now is on Netflix or something else. So, uh, um,. You don't really expect that it's even going to be on television at the time you air. Mr. Robot is actually a really good example of this because um, ratings, at least live viewing ratings, dropped this season um, from last season. This show is still phenomenal, uh, and as it turns out, it's grown overall. Uh, it's gotten a, a larger, you know, post, you know, like DVR slash uh, streaming audience and so yeah. on. So. Yeah, DVR uh, is is big now with ratings. They're not still weighed as heavily as as live which i think is too bad because honestly um a view is a view yeah it's like people listen to our podcast like i don't really care if they listen to them the day that the show comes out i just want to see that people are still listening and they are i mean like you go back and look at some of the um downloads for some of our older shows and like some of our older shows are still getting downloaded once Mm -hmm. in a while and that's i count that as a win yeah so Matt saw Suicide Squad, and he's going to be a gracious host and not spoil it for me or the rest of you because I didn't see it yet. Yeah, this is going to be one of our, one of my first spoiler free 
uh, semi reviews because um, I'm not gonna like totally review the whole thing. Um, I liked it though. I did. That's encouraging because from what I've seen so far, it's getting the shit kicked out of it and Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. It doesn't need to. No. And I and I feel more comfortable saying that about this even than I did Batman versus Superman. Okay. Um, and Eddie and I talked about this a little bit before the show. I don't. I think my expectations going into this movie were not as high. Yeah. And, and the importance of this movie is in the overall scheme of the uh, DC in the DC extended universe were. Um, I don't. I don't think it's as as weighed as heavily as you know anything with one of the Trinity or all of the Trinity. Yeah, I've been thinking for a while. It's a little bit odd the release schedule they decided to go with for this because they have um, setting up this universe. Like, let's just follow uh, Marvel for a second. Marvel started with Iron Man. They followed that up with uh, I think Thor came next. Nope. Captain America. Nope. Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk. Oh, the movie everybody forgets about because we only got one of them and it was with Ed Norton who immediately got kicked out. Uh, so but it was good. Yeah, it was good. I like that movie. Um, so we got Iron Man, Incredible Hulk. Then we went with Captain America. Then we went with Thor, I'm fairly sure. I think Thor was first. Whichever. Yeah, I'm just well, saying. I mean, but they came out, I think. You've, I'm just saying. We got our heavy hitters, essentially. We've got, we've got four of our heavy, heavy hitters, at least that Marvel still owns. Thor because, was first because the stinger at the end of Captain America was leading into Avengers. There you go. And so, um, I mean, obviously, if they could have, they would have put Spider-Man in that rotation somewhere. But now let's uh, contrast a little bit with the DCU. We got Superman. And then we got a team-up movie with Batman versus Superman. Uh, But we knew Suicide Squad was coming out before we ever even saw Dawn of Justice as well. Yeah, let's go back a second. We got Man of Steel. Uh, That's what I should be saying. And then the next movie on the the roster was uh, Batman versus Superman. And then the next movie following that was The Suicide Squad. Yeah. So that's an odd path to take because Man of Steel is probably like if you want to launch a new property, going with Superman in the just or Superman in the DC universe is probably not the wrong choice. Uh, Superman. You could have gone Batman, but we had just had Nolan's Batman, so it would have been a little bit right. Like I totally agree with that in retrospect. The sheets like, were still warm, so yeah, you could you could go with um, Superman and, or Batman. I think would be a totally valid choice. Uh, and although. You're not going to start the series with Aquaman, though. It's not going to happen. Yeah. In the world I want to live in, I would also say you could have gone with the third member of the Trinity, which would have been Wonder Woman. But uh, we've been sort of having trouble getting, you know, female-led superhero movies out the door for a long time now. So, Dude, I don't know, though. Like, the way that Wonder Woman looks, as far as the trailer that we've seen, if that had been the first movie in this DC Extended Universe, I'd have been on board with it. It sure would have done a hell of a lot for the tone. Like, come yeah. right out of the gates with, you know, gods versus men and kind of things like that, so. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we so instead instead of the Marvel path where we, we're introducing four separate characters and their um, different mythoses and, you know, they're all sort of heavy hitters, we went with um, be, uh, uh, a, a main superhero, a team-up movie with a second superhero who hasn't had his own movie yet, which in this case, again, I don't necessarily think Batman needed his own movie because, like you said, we just got off the Nolan trilogy. Basically, everybody knows just about everything about Batman, so it's fine. Um, and then the next movie to follow that up is Suicide Squad, which is B-roll. Honestly, if you're talking about the DC universe, it's B-roll. Um, yeah, it 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 is. But it was it was an entertaining movie. The thing about it is, and this did get a little bit long, is the intro, um, or not even the intro, but just like 
the movie, there's a lot of introduction to characters in it. Yeah, there um, almost kind of has to be because there's like 19 characters in it. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of introduction there. And then uh, I'm... And this has nothing to do with the actor that plays him. Unlike my issues that I have with Eisenberg as Lex. Um, Just phenomenally the wrong casting choice. Yeah, the Joker in this I think was cast correctly, but the character was developed weird. Yeah, from what I've seen, and I've only seen the trailers again, but... And I've seen Leto in other things, and Leto totally could play the Joker. Like when they announced Leto as the Joker, I was like, "Oh yeah, that that's gonna be that could be awesome." Yeah. And then I saw the first still, and I was like, "What?" Yeah. And uh, so Matt, again, spoiler free, has kind of basically said like, "Well, it's not gonna be like Heath Ledger." Like, yeah. Well, actually, kind of the thing is, is it was a little bit like him. Well, I mean, to a in fault. that you know like, what I mean? Like it was like they really tried to kind of. What they tried to do is make a Joker that was semi-comic book in terms of looks. Because Heath Ledger definitely was not. Well, what I meant was um, when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker, everybody was kind of like, are you serious? You cast the guy from yeah. 10 Things I you know Hate About You to be the Joker? You, and then we all came You mean came people out- weren't like, are you serious? You cast the guy from My So-Called Life as the Joker? Yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, we all came out of the Dark Knight basically eating crow. If yeah. Like... First off, I don't remember being hugely negative. I was kind of like, well, that's weird. But, um, and fortunately, there was no podcast then, so you can't go back and fact check that shit. Uh, but anyway, I don't remember being hugely negative about Heath Ledger as the Joker. I just remember thinking, really? Uh, like, that is a strange choice. Um, a Knight's Tale? Yeah. Um, how's that guy? Because that, especially Heath in A Knight's Tale and his other properties is like... He's really pretty. Yeah, he's too pretty to play the Joker. Yeah. And I guess... Uh, Fair enough, uh, Jared Leto kind of falls into that same circumstance, but it's like we'd seen Heath Ledger as the Joker, and uh, we'd, we'd all been you know completely wrong about that. So I uh, this movie going into it, they're like, I, they cast Jared Leto, and I was like, well, Leto's actually a pretty good actor. Like, yeah. I could see, like, with the right, you know, like I was picturing, um, there's this one cosplayer who does an amazing cosplay of the cover from, I think, A Killing Joke. Um, that Joker, uh, and I was kind of picturing a little bit like that Joker uh, being played by Leto, and then I saw the first stills come out, and I was like, "What? No, not that! Don't do that!" And yeah, so again, having not seen the movie and having you not come away and say, "Oh no, they they did fine," like that that has me hugely reticent going into the film myself. So I mean, don't be reticent about the film because it's good. Yeah. Um, but that character in particular just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, it just hurts that that that's like we've got a multi-film. I'm assuming the Joker is involved in a multi-film deal, and I mean, it kind of has to be at some point, right? Yeah, like if this is the DCU they're going with, like, and I think they are. Like, I kind of think um, ratings be damned. Like, we're gonna we're gonna uh, drive this shit until nobody goes and sees him. Yeah, because it's too hard to set up a whole other franchise again yeah. after they tried to launch it with the Green Lantern and that totally failed. One of the things I kind of felt bad about too was because I, I had forgotten that I hadn't actually sat. Like I took my oldest daughter Emmy with me, um, and she's going to come on next week after Eddie's actually seen the show and or the movie, and she's going to tell us some of her favorite parts in the movie because she really enjoyed it too. Um, the thing is, is she hadn't seen Batman versus Superman yet, mm-hmm. and like one of the first things that they talk about in the movie is is it opens up with Waller and she's talking about 
um, you know, before we knew a man could fly, blah, blah, blah. And now we don't have a man that flies. And like, she totally didn't get that because like, she didn't see the oh, <laughs> CBS or anything like that. So she's like, what was that all about? And I'm like, eh, we'll tell you after the movie. Mm. Um, so I got to actually sit her down and actually have her watch that movie. Cause it's, I mean, she'll like it. I mean, it's just for yeah. whatever reason, like she hasn't been around any of the seven times it's been watched in my house lately. <laughs> um, so there's that, um, like I said, a lot of introduction, uh, <coughs> excuse me, lots of, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say too much, obviously. Um, Batman, who we saw in the previews, I can tell you was used well. Okay. Um, we get a, a, a guest appearance from a different character that I wasn't fully expecting also. Interesting. Yeah. It just like super brief, like five seconds of screen time. Okay. Um, now my mind's all racing because who could we not be expecting? Well, and I think maybe, <coughs> excuse me, maybe it's been mentioned before. Nah, don't, don't, but, don't, don't say, but I don't want to say anything. Yeah. Um, I will tell you the standouts in this are unexpected to me. Okay. One of them is unexpected. Margot Robbie killed it as Harley Quinn. We knew she was going to. That wasn't an issue. Yeah, you could kind of see she was nailing that role from the trailer. Yeah. Like, if she would, again, it would have had to be really terrible in the movie to have that not make sense. Yeah. Um. But Will Smith. Will Smith was actually really good in this. And uh, I was flabbergasted because I really thought that going into this movie, that this movie was going to be presented as, as kind of a vehicle for Will Smith one-liners. And he does have a few, but it's not anything that detracts from the movie. And his characters actually developed really well throughout the course of the movie. See, that's exciting because Will is a talented actor, but a lot of the times, especially with blockbuster movies like this, they, they're just like, hey, uh, let's get Will Smith. What character is he going to play? Will Smith. And we'll call him Deadshot. You know, yeah. like, uh, so if he's not just playing Will Smith, that's pretty f- fantastic. Which, again, because, you know, like, he gets a rap for that. Like, um, and he really shouldn't because the guy can really act like I've seen him in some other, you know, especially he's got some drama roles and stuff like that. Uh, and even going all the way back to Fresh Prince, like you could see even all the way back in Fresh Prince, like he can actually act. Uh, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, I think he picked it up in like the second or third season of Fresh Prince, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, he didn't come out of the gate. Yeah. And, and see, here's the thing. Like Will Smith is an actor. Like I still wasn't used to that when independence day came out and i damn sure wasn't used to that to him being like an action star yeah i saw um, him punch an alien i was like the fuck is a fresh prince doing man yeah bad boys i think it was probably his first vehicle and then of course uh independence day and then men in black followed up like in quick succession and so he got established like really really quickly um and then after that i I don't know. I'm sure there's something that I'm overlooking that he was really good in. Um, Men in or... Black, though, was more of a, a... Like, I could see him doing that more. Yeah. Because it was a comedic role, number one. And it was he was also kind of like the hapless hero in that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he wasn't always going to be super badass. Like, especially put into an environment where there's aliens and what whatnot. Excuse me. I just... I remember he came out and did... I don't remember what exactly his first, like, major dramatic role was, but I remember thinking, like, oh, well, that's new. Because, like, 
at that time he had done, you know, sort of like, um, he'd done like with Independence Day, it was kind of like almost quasi comic relief heroes sort of character. And then the same thing with Men in Black, like they were practically carbon copies. Do that movie where he was dying and then he had a kid. I can't remember what the hell. Seven pounds. Seven pounds. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I was think I I think of Pursuit of Happiness. That's the one I've seen. Oh yeah. In. But of course he was in Ali as well, and I've heard he's good in that. I haven't seen Ali yet, actually. Neither have I. I so, should. Anyway, I mean, I just maybe falsely have this picture in my head or of uh, what you know you get when you cast Will Smith in anything. So, um, but especially going into the Suicide Squad, I was like, and seeing the trailers because the trailers didn't really do anything to dissuade me from that idea. No, um, and. A couple of things in this movie that are really going to make you happy, uh, too. And this is not a spoiler, so I don't feel bad about this. But um, you're definitely going to see him with a mask. Amazing. And you're definitely going to hear Harley Quinn say Puddin'. If they didn't, I would throw my popcorn at the Dude, the none screen. of the trailers, though. Which is amazing, considering how well, or not well, DC has marketed the rest of these movies. Like, these are the things that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. didn't really see it in the trailer i mean i think we saw still of of dead shot with the mask but as far as harley quinn like her dialogue in the in the trailers like you're not even sure that she's really talking like harley quinn necessarily from a lot of the i mean there's some there's mm-hmm. a little there's a hint of it but in the movie like she's actually really good awesome so um that stuff all fantastic um overall the plot of it is kind of cool I'm not going to go too much into that. And I will tell you when we get into talking about some comic books later on, some of the comic books Eddie read, um, he's actually already seen some of the elements from the movie without actually having seen the movie because there's Suicide a couple... Squad was the rebirth title like the movie. Cause I kind of got that vibe from the trailer at least, which gives away there's actually nothing, three but... comic books that we read this week that are some, that, that have some kind of tie in connection to it. Batman awesome. number four, suicide squad rebirth, and a little bit of Harley Quinn number one. Okay. Cool. All right, you got anything else on Suicide, suicide no, um, Squad? Which I do yourselves a favor and go saying. see it because it is good. Um, again, like I said, it's not weighted as heavily on the scale as as like Man of Steel or BVS, but it is definitely good. You know that maybe why they did it is because there's not as much pressure. Um, if, which first off is a little bit of a misconception from their part. Like DC, you're under a lot of pressure to put out a good movie. Like there's been nothing. Uh, that stand out in the way that you know a number of the different marvel properties have been like off the top of my head iron man amazing uh the avengers amazing captain america winter soldier amazing like captain america winter soldier probably one of my favorite movies ever um you're not lying yeah i i feel the exact same way about that movie and of course civil war like you know it's funny and now as i'm like oh it's a captain america movie that means it's gonna be good yeah yeah uh, so well, it's the the Russo brothers, man. Like now, anytime I see the Russo brothers, that's like I can't wait for Avengers uh, Infinity yeah. War because I'm just like they can't lose. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> if they're like the Russo brothers have created a mo- new movie, which is just 90 minutes of popcorn popping. I'd be like, oh, I gotta go see that. I'm gonna be on the edge of my seat the entire time. I feel like Zack Snyder's kind of getting the M Night Shyamalan treatment these days because they're like Zack Snyder's directing this picture. I'm like, well, what was his last one? Is it good? No, his last one's kind of shit. So maybe this one'll be good. But if the last movie that he did was good, I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, I want to feel worse for him, but the only thing in my mind that's like stand out pretty good is the director's cut of Watchmen. Didn't he do 300? Oh no, no, no you're right. Okay, 300. I'll give you two. <laughs> 
but three, yeah, three hundred was good too. Three hundred is groundbreaking, and, and again, this does not contradict anything we've said about Snyder before. But three hundred is groundbreaking from a visual standpoint, but the storytelling and the rest of it is kind of mediocre. It's kind of like Image Comics in the nineties. Yeah, it was I mean, really really good for the art story. Sometimes not there. Yeah, so uh, it was all right. I mean, the story wasn't distracting from the movie or anything like that. Uh, and I'd say three hundred was a solid movie, but. Um, like I think of the other properties that Snyder's got, and I think Watchmen. Okay, good, I like it. Which is controversial. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people who did not like Watchmen at all. Um, Man of Steel. Again, a very fifty-fifty movie. Batman versus Superman, almost overwhelmingly negative. Sucker Punch, overwhelmingly negative. Not no question. Like I saw it and I didn't completely hate it, but I also didn't like it. Um, you know. Yeah, that's one of those movies where you're just like, well, really. I mean, there's two hours. I just passed doing things, I guess. Whatever. What was that movie that came out in the late 90s with uh, Drew Barrymore and some other girls? And they were hookers in the Old West. Mm-hmm. Bad Girls. It was called Bad Girls. Okay. That movie was hyped so much. like, And this is back before the internet. So like, the only time you could ever see a, a movie trailer or preview was like watching TV or at another movie. Because they actually ran fucking TV spots mm-hmm. a lot back then. And so the amount of TV spots that that movie got, I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then like I happened to see it. I think it was at a drive-in or something like that. And I was like, wow, that was underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I think we kind of knew it was going to be. But like at the same time, like you're just like, maybe... Maybe this is that movie that's going to put one of these girls like over the top. And they're going to make as much of it as a dude. And yeah. they go make a movie okay call back wild wild west we were just talking about will smith i was yeah. like i'm gonna go see wild wild west it's got will smith in it it's gonna be so good and then i came out of the movie theater like well damn there was big fucking spiders i'm gonna go find will smith and tell him he owes me seven bucks <laughs> it was a different time then Movies and we didn't know what the big spiders were funny until we saw the first evening of kevin smith special <laughs> yeah. i gotta say i didn't see that until years 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 later probably like in the last year i first became aware of that and i was like oh well, that explains it. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you for answering this question that I didn't know I had for the last 10 or 15 years. You know? That guy that asked that question at that thing didn't know he asked that question either. But. Yeah, I know. He he probably thought I'm going to get a simple 30-second answer. And I think the talk is literally like about 30 minutes. But it's amazing. Dude, like, I think there was only like six questions asked through that entire DVD. Oh, yeah. And and then, but at least it, it seemed natural. And the second one a little bit was that way, but then like there's there was a three evening with Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. and like a dude would ask a question and he would just go off and tell whatever story he wanted to that may or may not have to do with whatever the guy asked. See, like I think that's a little bit of Kevin Smith though. Like uh, I think one of the things that people learn about him pretty quickly is like it doesn't matter what question you ask Kevin Smith. Like you ask him, "Hey, Kev, what color shirt are you wearing today?" And you think you're gonna be like, "Well, it's red." I mean, maybe it's like a like a you know, like, I think he wears Flyers jerseys a lot, so uh, may- maybe he'd be like, oh, maybe it's a little dark red? He doesn't wear no. Flyers jerseys. What am I thinking? Garmin. Garmin's a Flyers fan, because nah. he's from Philly. Gotcha. Um, Kev wears his own jerseys a lot. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you'll, you'll ask him a question, like, what color, you, what color are you wearing today, Kev? And you think that's going to be, like, a 30-second answer, but as it turns out, it's going to take at least 45 minutes to get to the end of that question. Yeah. Uh, which... It, the the thing that I like about Kevin Smith is like when I was watching this video, 
um, you know, there's a YouTube video of, of somebody asking him that specific question, you know, like, so what about working on the Superman movie? Um, because for those of you fans playing the home game, uh, they, uh, Kevin Smith was originally one of the uh, main writers on a... He was the writer. Yeah, he was the writer on a Superman movie, which never got made. Um, it was It was the movie that was in development that eventually Nicolas Cage was attached to to play Superman. And Tim Burton was attached to to direct. And then by the time they made the decision that Tim Burton was going to direct, then they decided they weren't going to use the script that Kevin wrote. Mm-hmm. And then the whole project got scrapped. And then we got the Brad and Ralph Superman Returns movie. Yeah, I think that happened sometime later. But basically, I mean, there were there were a lot of Superman scripts. Like, yeah, I just I just covered dozen. ten years in like a, a twenty second explanation. Yeah, yeah, there's a half dozen Superman scripts floating around, written by various people and you know various names associated to the project. But this is the one that had a lot of smoke behind it. Like, so Kev was going to write, and uh, just like Matt said, Nick Cage, uh, Tim Burton, and so on. I assume that means we'd also get a, a at least a. a cameo from helena bottom carter but whatever johnny depp <laughs> johnny depp would have been there um he would have actually just been playing willy wonka uh in in the superman movie yeah yeah or ed scissorhands like n- no question like he would have just been there uh yeah whatever what, um, what's funny about kevin smith writing that is when he got asked to write it by the folks at warner brothers um he specifically was like well i mean yeah i'll take a crack at it but why don't you get one of the cats that's actually writing Superman yeah. right now? And they're like, oh, well, that's comic books. Like, that's that's different. Like, we don't... Mm-hmm. This, these are movies. We're, we're like, it's a completely different thing. And now we have a guy that is the chief creative officer of DC Comics who just got appointed to be, like, the executive vice president of entertainment at Warner Brothers. Yeah, okay, so... That uh, just uh, happened this last week, too. That's We probably should have put that in the show notes, and I totally didn't. Jeff Johns? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, we probably should have stuck that in the show notes, but yeah, Jeff Johns just got a big promotion in the last week at DC, uh, which Matt just mentioned, which is a huge deal because, uh, uh, again, we're big fans. Like, everything I've read by Johns I've really liked, or at least, you know, liked. Uh, there's been nothing that I've been like, oh my god, what are you doing? Uh, which is high praise for me. Um, so yeah, Jeff Johns just got a big promotion. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the whole thing is a little bit funny to me because it just kind of, oh, call back to what I was saying before. Like, you stick pretty close to the source material and you generally make a whole boatload of money and everybody comes out singing your praises. And then, you know, like, just to show you exactly how clueless they are, they're like, oh, comic book writers. We can't get comic book writers. That's not going to work. Yeah. And back to Suicide Squad just for a minute. Like, that's kind of my thing with it is it was a decent picture. I loved the soundtrack. Like, I don't know if I would listen to the soundtrack as a standalone album, but the music was done really well throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. And then anything that had to do with the Joker in it seemed like it was an art house picture. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like, what are you trying to do here? Like, that was kind of my whole thing. I'm like, what, what's the end game for this? They're putting the Joker on the pedestal. Yeah. Can't just put the Joker on the pedestal. You gotta let it be. <clears throat> yeah, and honestly, there was there. <laughs> There's a tiny little fly buzzing into Matt's eye right yep. now. Uh, honestly, there was a lot of good parts to that movie, and you could have done the movie. That's the thing. You could have done this movie without the Joker, and it would have still been a, a great movie. So yeah, you know, not we- nothing against Leto because Leto did pour his fucking heart and soul into doing that yeah um you know i don't know i i think i would want some exposure to the joker in this universe before we get a harley quinn movie but 
again, I think that they're rushing things a little bit. Like the the having um, you know having Batman be a side character to a Superman sequel. You know, because this movie, Batman vs. Superman, was billed as the Superman sequel. Same thing, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad featuring Harley Quinn, where the Joker is a sidecar secondary introduction. Like, that seems a little bit, like, really? Kind of thing? Yeah. You know, like, I get that they're not wanting to um, shove out... Like, they're not wanting to pull a Sony and shove out another Spider-Man, uh, you know, Nia Batman movie uh, right away. But it's kind of like, well, you know, there is a such thing as logical progression. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. It's, I don't know. Uh, again, that was my one bit of apprehension going into the movie, and uh, don't feel any differently about that particular piece of it. But I, like, again, Will Smith, a pleasant surprise throughout the movie. Margot Robbie, I knew was going to kill it. Um, yeah, there was good acting. There was some good acting and, and, and a decent story. And I don't want to go into the story because, honestly, that's one of the few things that the trailers haven't shed any light on. Um, Which is almost... I bet I bet what happened is they listened to our podcast episodes talking about Batman vs. Superman and the marketing <laughs> for that. I bet they did that and they were like, hey, these guys are onto something. Let's not spoil the whole fucking movie in the trailer. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're onto something there. Yeah, that's um, definitely what happened. But uh, yeah, for Eddie's benefit, I'm not I'm not going to talk about the plot, um, which consequently kind of sucks because it means I can't talk about a different character that I didn't even know was in it until I watched it. Nope. And that sounds like a big spoiler. So shut the fuck up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, On the next episode, I'm fairly confident to say that we will be able to talk about the movie in detail, um, which is another thing. I was listening to another podcast this earlier this week, and they were talking about how they felt bad because they kind of quasi spoiled something through the natural discussion. Wait, you listen to other podcasts? I mean, I, you filthy fucking whore listen to our podcast on repeat, like the rest of the day, but occasionally, yeah, I switch it up a little bit. Uh, but I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about how they accidentally spoiled a movie a little bit um, like uh, uh, without you know meaning to and it, and just barely like I wouldn't even constitute it as a spoiler uh, necessarily but I was thinking about that and I was like yeah, that's kind of that's kind of our shtick like we, we, we get on the air and we spoil everything <laughs> like if you're going to read these comics don't listen to the next 45 minutes because we're going to go on at length about them yeah yeah, we try. Hey, before we move on to the next section, too, I have to I have to make a correction to last week's podcast because uh, I'm glad this has been weighing on me. I know, I and I corrected it on Facebook and and other social media avenues, but some of you, Rob, don't partake in social media at all, um, and it's important that uh, that I get this out of the air. Wait, so, like a cave person. So what happened is I sobered up a little bit throughout the course of that podcast, and as a result of not being completely hammered. Uh, I mistakenly referred to the character of Black Bolt as Thunderbolt. And I, who really has almost no familiarity with the Inhumans at all, was like, yeah, Thunderbolt, that's right. That sounds good. Yeah. Turns out not. It's Black Bolt. Yep. Completely. Um, And the thing is, is Thunderbolt is an amazing technology, uh, you know, for, for PCs, but, you know, not the character that, used to lead the Inhumans. It's not. No. But there's the theoretical possibility that you could hook up hook up a video card externally. Yeah. And so far, I haven't seen anything that's not egregiously expensive for, uh, you know, performance you can get for way less price just buying the damn card, but whatever. 
I mean, yeah. I guess if you have one of those shitty trash can Mac Pros that are like now for three years out of date, that might be an attractive technology for you, but whatever. True. Yeah. All right. Uh, We're dry. Matt, Matt did say he'd sobered up in the last podcast, and we saw what happened with that, so we'll be there. <laughs> we, we can't we'll let right that happen back. again. All right, so uh, we've got some comic books to talk about, to say the least. Um, the last show was very comic comic book heavy and this show's not going to be any different because we read like 40 books this week i think you read more than me because last week i had read all the comics we had to talk about and you hadn't so not gonna let that die are you nope all right that's okay though because you got here hours ago and i had to read like five comic books (laughs) while you were here so hey uh i still i I guess i'm gonna take credit or shame maybe for reading comic books on the air what's awesome though is like my kids ate all the food yeah (laughs) <laughs> and because um, we were gonna have burritos but then like they ate all the tortillas and there was no tortillas and i was like well i've got some burger patties and so eddie ran to the store and got some stuff for burgers real quick and we had some bacon cheeseburgers that were amazing really bacon good cheeseburgers so. yeah super good um yeah uh you were like yeah burritos and i was like okay cool and uh then your kids you know like on futurama what's the name of the the little character that eats the hams all the time i don't remember Oh, shit, the little black guy with the extra eye. Dude, you, I, I, I don't watch Futurama like really, a lot. I mean, I, really? I, I, I'm not enough to like know. Yeah, uh, I like I know say Fry it's something with an N, but I can't remember. Anyway, it was like Leela's pet. Like I, I was like, ah, Leela, I know her. Yeah, I was like watching him, and it was like Gemma. it was like that. They just ate all the things, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, but that you know, it wasn't that surprising because my kids do that sometimes too. Except for my kids are really bipolar about that kind of thing. Like you'd think, you'd think your kids would either be like, "I'm going to eat all the things," or I will, you know, eat like a tiny little sparrow, and that would be basically their personality type all the time. Very much not true, dude. My daughters, my older daughters, are, are ten and twelve, and they're like <clears throat> their metabolisms are starting to uh, work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kick in in earnest and it's more prevalent in my 12 year old than it is in 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 emmy uh than it is in jada but it's like they're not here all the time mm-hmm. and so like when they are like we always grocery shop like ahead of time so we okay so we have all these meals and whatnot and then like two days later it's like locusts hit the fields and like <laughs> destroyed the crops <laughs> well i guess we're gonna eat ramen noodles now yeah it's some see that's what i'm saying like my kids it's sometimes like that like most of the time uh my kids will be like you know kind of moderate and we'll kind of have to force them to eat a little bit and then occasionally like my daughter who's nine and it you know like if she stands behind a post if it's a thicker post you like you might lose track of her um yeah ellie's pretty tiny yeah uh, she's skinny at least. She's taller. Like she's tall. Uh, she she almost is like the personification of like olive oil. Um, but it, at least at this point. But anyway, sometimes she'll be like, you know, I'm only gonna have like half of what you gave me, which you know they're kid portions, but whatever. Uh, maybe slightly larger than kid portions. And then other times she'll be like, hey, you know what sounds good? Eight tacos. Yeah. Uh, okay, I think technically her record is seven, but still. But eight probably sounded good at the time. Yeah. I think we probably shut her down. It was like, no, no, I stopped after four. Like you're done. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Kids are weird like that. Yeah. Yes. They just eat food. They do. They and keep, you're, you're going to have it worse going. than me because like my girls right now, like they're, they're just heading into their like preteen, like eating growth phase. 
but like they're gonna get over it because by the time they're like 15 they're not gonna want to eat fast food and fart in front of boys Mm -hmm. whereas you have two boys no i i I just pray see jack it's much like ellie's a little bit weird in that every now and then like very occasionally she'll be able to put away more food than the rest of the family but um especially if you make something that they like the both of the boys are like well, wow, like we we fed Kellen pizza the other day, and Kellen, no joke, Kellen's my three year old, ate like as much as I did. I was like sitting there, like I had my two, uh, you know, giant slices of pizza, and Kellen's, you know, like I I took the same slice of pizza and I cut it in half for him, um, and he ate four servings of that, and I think I had maybe three total pieces. So I'm just saying, a kid that's like an eighth my size ate two thirds of what I did. Which, for those of you who don't like fractions at home, it's a fucking lot of food for a tiny kid. Yeah. Where are the pies from? Uh, just probably Pop Murphy's or something like that. Oh. Yeah. That's a kind of go-to pizza place. Like, um, First off, I actually like Pop Murphy's pizza. I don't know. You a fan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but outside of Pop Murphy's, like, I don't like Pizza Hut. I don't really like... Uh, I don't really like any of the big chain places, really, when it comes to pizza. Pop Murphy's is the closest to like a non-chain good pizza that I can get. I dig um, without spending like twenty dollars a pie. I dig some like legit pizzeria pizza, which Same. you know is twenty dollars a pie a lot of the time. But yeah, uh, like Sadici's over in Albany, like you can't go wrong mm-hmm. with their pizza. Um, here in town, we've got a couple good places. We've got James Gang, which is super good, mm-hmm. uh, and then we've got Schmitza, which I don't think I've taken you there yet. But I think you might. Oh, you might have gone in and, and filled a growler though. Yeah, I I did. Couple times because your growler fills there, and then you know, as as luck would have it, apparently the the big town of Lebanon's getting a Domino's pretty pretty soon. Moving on up, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's sad, actually. It does mean that we'll have three places in town that will deliver though, instead of two. Because right now we've got Pizza Hut and Little Caesars, and I fucking wipe my ass with both of those. Yeah. So, like, don't get me wrong. Um, I I will eat like all pizza to me is edible just generally speaking like there there are certainly uh, uh, uh vast highs and lows in that spectrum but there's not really a pizza place that i'm like oh god i'm never going back there caesar's is bad like it's not good at all mm-hmm. um pizza hut like it's really to me it's like some of the most generic thing ever and the thing that really gets me about it pizzas don't always come out the same but when you buy it from Pizza Hut, it's exactly the fucking same every you know, time. Funny enough that you mentioned that because what I was going to say about Pizza Hut is like I've called Pizza Hut and ordered a thing, and they're like, "Oh, we're out of that crust." And I was like, "What do you mean? Like you have other crusts?" Okay, so then you don't actually like. There's no dough involved here. What I have to assume happens is they take a frozen pizza patty, uh, you know, frozen pizza dough patty, and then put shit on it with you know like. Uh, um, surgical precision because just like you said there is no such thing as a different pizza from pizza hut yeah like i will give them the credit in that but like you can go to pizza hut pretty much anywhere in the world and get the same pizza it's just not good pizza anywhere you go yeah that's the thing like what i like about sadici's which is total pizzeria pizza and total pizzeria prices and whatnot but Mm -hmm. like it's good and, like, sometimes you get it and the crust is a little darker than other times. Like, sometimes it's got a little bit of a char to it. Sometimes it See, but that doesn't. shit's amazing. That's what and I love. Yeah. Um, the thing, <laughs> I'm not allowed to get pepperoni when we go there because my wife doesn't like it when I eat pepperoni anyway. <laughs> and the pepperoni that they use, like, it's literally, like, like turns into little tiny bowls of grease. 
Yeah. And it's amazing. Like she's like, No, you're not allowed to eat that. Yeah. But other than that, you know. I like Man. pizza. Well, how would we talk about pizza? I don't know. We're talking about comics. I guess it's um, if we were talking about Ninja Turtle comics, it would make sense. But yeah, um, but we're not. We're going to talk about some Civil War comics. I think. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I finally got a little caught up on Civil War. I think we haven't talked about Civil War on the show for like a couple months, three, four episodes at least. Um, I guess it's more like five or six episodes. Yeah, you're probably right. Like five or six episodes. Um, so Civil War one and two we had read. I think those are the last books we discussed on the show. I read three and four uh, before the show today, and we also read the Kingpin number one and two tie-ins. Um, both and Matt's actually a couple of tie-ins ahead of me. There's... I've read all the tie-ins actually. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so except for the infinite of the comic, there's, that... there's a Ulysses Infinite comic that I I don't read any of the infinite comics because they're like digital mobile first, and I don't. Mm get really bored flipping through panels that are the same except for like a word bubble changes yeah so i, I don't read those but yeah other than that <laughs> so anyway um so if you haven't followed civil war or if you've forgotten what it's about since uh it's been uh, you know five or six eps since we talked about it uh roughly on one side you have tony stark as iron man and on the other side you have carol captain danvers marvel. as captain marvel um and so Basically, what happens is uh, Carol and the gang finds a um, inhuman by the name of Ulysses who can seemingly tell the future. Yep. Uh, so when he starts predicting really bad shit's going to go down, uh, not only bad shit like they prevent a raid, you know, or something like that from Thanos. Can't remember what the MacGuffin that's, that's was. That's kind of the um, the linchpin to this whole story is uh, yeah. this this kid saw uh, Thanos getting ready to invade carol uh danvers as captain marvel is of the opinion that if we have this information we need to act upon it and not let the people do the things wrong that they're going to do and just intercede really minority reporting stuff i was just gonna say so the precog then uh uh, (laughs) but uh theorizes that you know whatever's gonna go down so anyway um uh but during during the battle with thanos um we we lose uh, a beloved character in uh roadie Rhodes, yeah um also known as war machine and then she hulk is next to dead very close yes yeah so uh that the loss of roadie though is is more than tony can handle and so he's like wait a minute is this kid actually predicting the future um in fairness i think tony's even even skeptical before that he's yeah, kind of he like, was skeptical yeah. and then his friend died and he was like no i told you this was a bad idea um, and his whole thing is like, number one, we're profiling because if we think somebody's going to do something wrong and so we just tell them don't, mm-hmm. then we're totally profiling. Um, and what makes us think that this kid's visions aren't being influenced by any personal prejudices he might have, um, anything like that. And so he's from a scientific and moral standpoint, like, nope, we can't do this. This is wrong. Yeah, and honestly, it, we're going to talk about this, and it's not really too much, uh, you know, like, we don't really need to save this for the end, but yeah, I'm all Team Tony this time. Like, Team yeah. Iron Man. Like, um, even from the beginning, I was kind of like, yeah, no, he's just right. Like, yeah, sorry. It's, it's hard to not be. Sorry, Captain Marvel, but you're you're wrong. Like, yeah, you should maybe investigate, but acting on these, like, in the way that they did and do as it leads through the books, like, there's a big event that happens in, I think, issue three. 
three is three is where we're about to pick up and yeah uh, there's a ulysses has a vision um of the hulk yep. going on a rampage yeah it, it's actually one of the cover pieces which is amazing the, the cover art is amazing it, it is literally the hulk being all giant holding you know tony stark as iron man's torso um you know having detached from the lower half of his body and it makes for a really good piece of art, and that's essentially Ulysses's vision, or one of the big parts of Ulysses's vision. Um, and it's important to note that these aren't just visions either. Ulysses is actually um, mentally experiencing these, yeah, horrific things. So, yeah, and uh, I think as his power grows, um, others around him kind of do too. Yeah. So, um, of course, they they go, you know, track down Banner and uh, are like. We, we need to take you in and blah, 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 blah. And uh, he starts getting pissed off a little bit. And spoilers. Yeah. He gets hit with an arrow and goes down and goes down hard. He ain't getting back up from that. No. Nope. Um, so when you see the arrow, it's pretty obvious just from the arrow alone that it's Hawkeye who took him out. And it's revealed in the course of the issue that um, Banner had basically said, like, if it looks like I'm going to go fuck everything up again, like, you need to kill me. Like, yeah. Uh, I can't do that again. I can't live with that guilt, etc., and so on. You need to take me out. And so, what's I- interesting about this is that, like, <laughs> Clint Clint Barton being the good friend that he is. Yeah, and that's another funny thing too. Like, Clint's like, well, why me? Like, there, like anybody could do that. Like, there's a number of members on a team that could do this. And uh, uh, Banner says something like, "Because you're the only one who I think might be able to live with it in time." Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of hardcore. It's like, oh yeah, you could totally kill your best friend and it'd be fine. Um, but uh, the you know the big question mark for everybody, including Tony Stark, who's standing right there, is like, was Banner really going to go on a rampage, or was he just a little pissed off because like the whole team was standing out front in front of his front door? You know. Well, and that's the other thing too is Tony's feeling on this. He's like, is this going to happen, or is this going to happen because we're making it happen now? Yeah, and I didn't feel like he was wrong there. Like, that was another, like, sort of precog minority report. Like, well, yeah, I mean, if that's what you do, of course it's going to happen. Like, you are, um, it's sort of a um, time paradoxical sort of, you know, shenanigans. But if you go and piss off the Hulk, he's likely to Hulk out. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, um, Tony, Tony is even more exacerbated and pissed off by the actions here because... A, it's not clear when Barton shoots uh, Banner with the arrow that takes him out. Uh, also noted, um, Banner actually gave uh, uh, Barton Hawkeye the potion, which gonna, which is basically going to kill him. Like the only thing that he knows that can kill him, um, you know, to be used in times of need. Um, and, so, and to be fair, it's the fucking Hulk, and we don't know that he's not going to not be dead in a couple issues. It wouldn't surprise me even a little bit if he wasn't. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, so it's not clear that um, Hawkeye killing the Hulk or Bruce Banner is entirely necessary because it wasn't entirely sure that he was really going to Hulk out at that point. Um, and B, like they created the situation, like entrapment at its finest, you know, so, sort of, so to speak. Um yeah. Anyway, so that's an interesting element that I really enjoyed. Uh, and second, I'm impressed that they kind of had the balls to do that. Like, yeah, that Marvel's been. Here's the thing. I'm not impressed that they had the balls to do it because they. 
we're talking about a company that last week we were just kind of ragging on because they're essentially killing the X-Men franchise or doing their level best. They've already killed Fantastic Four. So it's not like a a huge like sidestep to believe that they're like, oh, yep, we're killing some characters now. It is, though, kind of one of those things that I'm just like, man, War Machine's part of the MCU, and they just killed him. The Hulk is part of the MCU, and they just killed him. Mm-hmm. So that is ballsy. Um, but, I mean, as a comic book company doing it, it's not ballsy. But as a marketing machine. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, so Killing War Machine, I was kind of like, all right. I mean, like, War Machine is not a big enough character that, that like, that made sense to me. Like, oh, they're killing a secondary character who everybody knows well enough to be sad about, but... It, let's face it, it's not one of the you know main Avengers or anything like that. Yeah. I gotta believe going into Phase Four though that he's the closest thing we have to Iron Man. Because mm. we're not gonna have Tony Stark at least presumably. Mm. So fair to say. So um, the the secondary part though, like is you know killing Bruce Banner, like that was the second thing. Like the impact when I read it the first time was like, oh man, what a big deal. And then, you know, as I said, well, you had to kind of go back. You're like, wait, did that really actually happen? Oh, I did. You I know? literally flipped back a couple yeah. of pages and was like, did, did I just see? I guess, I guess they did kill him. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And it does seem like for all intents and purposes, it does seem like he's dead. And let's face it, it's comic books and nobody's ever dead, but it does seem like they actually legit killed him. Um, but, you know, I think the impact of there is lessened just slightly because while I firmly believe that at least for the time being, Rhodey is dead. The Hulk, man, the Hulk, in the movie even, in the movie, which is an underpowered version of the Hulk, he said, like, I tried to kill myself, I shot a bullet in my face, and I spit it back out, you know? Yeah, the other guy spit it back out. Yeah, like, um, I firmly believe that there's very little likelihood that uh, uh, Banner, the Hulk, is dead, even in this continuity. I really love the Mark Ruffalo Banner. Oh, I do too. And the way, like, his mannerisms and the way he refers to the Hulk as the other guy all the time. I love it. Like, he's he's very good, which is funny because um, he's actually a little bit too handsome to be the to be Bruce Banner. I think you but think, I think so. Like if you look at this banner that they draw in, in Civil War, he's a little nerdy. Honestly, he looks like Ed Norton. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So, so let's talk about issue four. Yeah, issue four. This is this is all the the trial is is going on for Clint uh, through uh, issue three. Issue four picks up. And we're um we're kind of making more arrests. Mm-hmm. I think it I think is where it opens. Um, no, yeah. it doesn't. It opens with Tony talking. Mm-hmm. You know he's talking to it first. Um, and then it's revealed that he's actually talking to an entire room. But he's basically revealing that he's discovered the secret of Ulysses and how he can quote see the future. Yeah. Um, and basically Ulysses' brain is absorbing all the ambient energy around him and uh it it interprets that as information um not only information that has happened but of things that might happen in different it's it's all probabilities 
Yeah, it, what what it says says something like it's algorithms essentially. So he's yeah. absorbing all this energy, energy and the potential for what these things could do. So like, just imagine you're playing poker and you've got two, you know, a pair pair of aces in your hand, and you see an ace on the table. Like you can basically determine with certain probability that it's not incredibly likely you're going to end up with a a, a uh, you know th- a triple. Um, there would be three of a kind. Three of a kind, yeah. I was like, that's not the right parlance, but anyway. Um, and it depends on what kind of poke you're playing too. But I get, I get where you're going. Yeah. So um, Ulysses does that, but vastly more complicated. So he takes all of the potential energies um, or inputs, which is you know from all of the different things in the world, and is able to determine with some probability uh, the potential, and then he experiences that in the form of the visions. Um, and as Tony says, and I'm kind of with him, those are just possibilities. Like, and what they aren't clear about is what probability those are. Yeah. Like, for example, there's a like point oh 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 one percent chance I'm going to be struck by lightning. That does not mean that I carry around you know like rubber boots and my lightning safe gear every time I walk outside of the house, um, because I'm acceptable. Uh, you know, like I find that possibility acceptable. Uh, and so, you know, like safety versus security is kind of always that, that thing. And so Tony falls on the side of like, yeah, dude, we don't need to wear our rubber boots all the time. Um, and Carol on the other hand is like, uh, yeah, we do. And Bruce Wayne is like, but if there's even a 1% chance. Yeah. Oh, wait. Then we have to take it as an absolute certainty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not a very Batman thing to say, is it? It's not. I don't, I (laughs) I never liked that line. I, I still don't like that line. I like the delivery. I think Affleck does a fucking great job at it. But I mean, uh, Affleck as Bruce Wayne slash Batman is amazing. But yeah, I don't like that line. Yeah. Um. So they're going through the trial. Um. This is the trial of Hawkeye. Essentially, Hawkeye's gotten picked up because he he basically at the end of issue three was like, "Yep, I did it." Uh, obviously, because I'm standing here holding the bow and yeah. uh, whatever. And then. We, uh, it's revealed that the conversation that Tony Stark is having is actually with everyone. Like, there's Captain America, um, Carol Danvers is there, uh, Medusa from the Inhumans is there, uh, Dr. Hank McCoy, aka Beast of the X Men, is there because he is actually running with the Inhumans these days for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Probably because um, he doesn't have an X Men to go back to. <laughs> well, I think theoretically, we haven't talked really about that, but there's, um, the Terrigen mists that are floating around mm-hmm. um, are really bad for mutants. Like I see, like they're harmless to humans unless they are inhuman, in which case they go into a cocoon and come out with whatever powers they're going to get and whatnot. Um, but with the mutants, it gives them uh, what's called impox. Okay, you know it's like chickenpox, but for mutants and whatnot, and it's not a not a good disease. It doesn't sound fun. So. I, I imagine Beast is, is rolling with the Inhumans so he can kind of get an idea of like the the biological differences between an Inhuman and, and a mutant. Yeah. It seems like the Beast kind of thing to do. But anyway. It does. <coughs> but uh, I, I thought the, the, the callback to the First Civil War in this particular part of it was really cool because Tony Stark is basically just like, there's a whole group there but you can tell that he's really just talking to Captain America. He's like, you and I have been down this road before and I've, you know, gone against you and I learned a lesson and that is I'm not going to go against Steve Rogers when Steve Rogers is absolutely sure he's right. 
So, yeah. you know, the thing here that I really liked is like um, exactly what you're saying, because the art does a good job of setting that up too. like yeah. when you see Tony's like the whole book, you kind of see Tony, Tony Stark, who looks like he's essentially monologuing. Obviously, he's talking to somebody. But, you know, the panels are basically Tony talking to uh, what feels like the audience. Yeah, you then, literally don't know who he's talking to at all until you see the reveal. Yeah, and the reveal is basically a panel of like Steve Rogers. So, um it's it's revealed that he's talking to Steve Rogers and you can see some characters in the background and then it, you know kind of a panel or two later it spreads out to the whole group and it's like, "Oh, he's talking to the whole team." So, I like that because um and more, you know, Team Iron Man and Civil War 2. He's talking to the whole group. Like, he's not just talking to the people who are quasi on his side. He's not just talking to Captain America. He's talking to the people he is severely disagreeing with. Like, here is exactly why I think that this thing is wrong. Here's the scientific evidence behind it, etc. and so on. Um, you know, like, uh, Carol, Carol Danvers, uh, Captain Marvel even says, you know, like, Hank, I need you to check this out. And it's kind of funny because they're like, uh, why him? And she's like, because I trust him. And he checks it out and he's like, well, he's not wrong. Yeah, Beast was like, I already looked at it. He's fine. Like, it's, yeah. it's, he's 100% correct. Like, Yeah. It, it, I mean, he, he says it in a way that sort of hedges a little bit, but it's it's not like a... It, it is a very firm like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, it's like when you don't want to admit you're wrong, sort of admission of wrongness. Uh so yeah, th- this book I think was really well done. Um, one of the things that I mentioned to Matt while we were reading, or while I was reading, because I was doing the last couple of issues actually sitting here while we were eating dinner, and uh, the art here is phenomenal. Like we've complained, I think, a little bit about the art across the DC books and stuff like that, and probably because yeah, for sure, it, it is one of the um, bigger books for Marvel right now. I mean, it's no coincidence that it's one of the bigger books for Marvel, but the art is amazing. Like, uh, the, um, you know, the drawing is all really well. The, the art style is all great. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed in particular is that it's kind of like, I could see these frames being easily translated into a movie. Like the, the, the frames are drawn in such a way that it's like, it's, it feels a little bit like cinematography to me. Here's um, here's so the I other really thing like too that I'm enjoying about reading the Civil War books is so many of the characters that we're getting in these books are characters that we've seen on the big screen too in the MCU. Like I don't not read Tony Stark as Robert Downey Jr. Oh, definitely not. Um, same with Steve Rogers. Definitely. You know, and I think that um, it's very subtle. But I do think that those characters are drawn to look more like their MCU counterparts. Not Steve Rogers as much, but Tony Stark for fucking sure. Um, oh yeah, like he—he's almost he—he—he he, he definitely looks a little bit younger than Robert Downey Jr., but otherwise complete stand-in. Like, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then where do we get from here? There's oh, we see Carol talking to um, She-Hulk because she's woken up from her coma and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's pretty, is it, is it the end of the book when they reveal that, um, Clint is found not guilty? Fairly close. It's one of yeah. the last couple of pages, I think. Cause she Hulk is not all that impressed by the verdict. No, she's a little pissed off. Especially. Oh no, there's a whole other subplot too that we didn't talk about. Go on. Sorry. Uh, there's the banker 
Oh, that Carol takes off the street because she's theoretically going to do something bad. Um, they find out that her briefcase is in fact not a bomb; it's completely empty, actually. Um, and literally, they're just like Carol. We can't hold her; like we've got nothing. And yeah. Carol goes in and tries to play the bad cop and whatnot. Um, doesn't get any information out of her because, like, le- for all intents and purposes, like, legitimately, this chick is like, I'm a banker. I don't know why I'm here. I want to make my phone call. Like, you can't do this to me kind of a thing. Um, Carol turns to talk to the rest of the group that she's with, turns her back on the cell, and all of a sudden you see a a, a pink flash, and um, they they quickly are like, well, it smells like brimstone. It was Nightcrawler. I was like, going to say, it's not pink flash. It's the purplish gray. Yeah. Uh, you know, it... it yeah. yeah, it's probably Nightcrawler. Yeah, it's totally Nightcrawler. And um, they're just like, well that's fucked and they go out to like investigate and like tony's out there oh they're like we need to find tony stark and arrest him and they're like that's not gonna be hard because he's like you know on top of the helicarrier yeah <laughs> so oh yeah okay so um they go outside essentially <laughs> and you see tony stark there with a lot of you know big characters um you know luke cage is in there and there's a whole bunch more yeah. um i don't know why luke cage is the one that stands out for me but whatever um, it's because we get a Luke Cage show in like a month or something. I think that's the thing. Um, and so Tony's like, you know, stand down. Uh, you're outmatched here and you're probably wrong. Yeah. Uh, and Carol's like, uh, but wait, there's more. And the Guardians of the Galaxy show up. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's a raccoon with a gun charging at <laughs> the group. And a tree, yeah. a giant tree falls out of the sky. Um, yeah, no, that really happened. I am Groot. Mm-hmm. So that's where the book ends, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading the next one. Me too. I mean, yeah. you, you, you you can't not be at this point. Um, the other book that we read too was Kingpin. Uh, that was a tie-in, direct tie-in to Civil War. Uh, books one and two. We won't be as lengthy on these books. Um, so the deal, and I told Eddie, I, I, I loved these two books. Um, presumably there's going to be more as well, but like... The first one is actually split up into two different stories. I believe it's two. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second book is actually just one one story that builds off of both the stories that we got from the first one. Um, what I did mention to him was that as good as the stories are, the art is not that great in these. But I think it's really, really suited to the type of story that's being told. So it didn't really bother me at all. Uh, so the thing about the art here is that like it's a deliberate style choice. Yeah. So like you either like it or you don't. Basically, um, it was okay. Like it was a little jarring. I thought because of the style, um, I lost a little bit of the viewing the the potential viewing of the book. And like there were a couple of cases where I like had to make sure I was thinking about you know is that the right character that I'm seeing there. Um, but uh, overall, it didn't bother me too much. Like, um, although a very, an artistic choice, like I was okay with it. The art style, generally speaking. Yeah. Um. So the Kingpin books, basically. Um. I mean, the, Kingpin's the, been gone for a while. Yeah, the long and short of it is the Kingpin's been gone for a while, and he wants to come back and take over the city a little bit, and. Uh, all of his henchmen are basically like, what about the capes? And the thing is that he's got a, a ace in the hole, so to speak. And that is this guy who basically is invisible to named, named Janice. Yeah. Janice, uh, Giannis, Janice. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he's invisible to the Ulysses. Uh, Ulysses so. He can't see him. So 
that's Kingpin. his. He's a he's an inhuman, and that's his inhuman yeah. ability. Kingpin can get away with shit, basically. Yeah, and the way the story is told is pretty cool because he really is bringing in all the different uh, mid level mobsters and whatnot, and telling him like, "Hey, you can either work for me or I can take you out." And they're like, "No, you can't," because all this, and then like he basically is just like, "Nope, watch this. Look, I'll shoot you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not get caught, and he does, and so he's he's slowly working on bringing uh, crime back under his fold, and it's it's interesting because Kingpin, he's that kind of guy that like as much as there's a lot of the superheroes out there like Captain America and Spidey and whatnot, and they're all from New York and they they're proud of New York and enjoy being from New York. Kingpin is the exact same way, but he's a criminal, and his whole point is a like, he goes when I was a kid growing up. You know, organized crime was exactly that. It was organized. There wasn't uh, power struggles all the time. He's like, it's the superheroes that, that caused all the trouble because they would take out a, a a gangster and then there would be a vacuum and nature abhors a vacuum. So there'd be a, a huge scramble to try and grab up that piece of territory. And he's even telling Janice or Yanis or whatever you want to call him. He's like, I just want things to be back to the way they were when I was growing up. And as soon as they are, I'm done. It's like simpler times, basically. Yeah. I, I really liked uh, that whole aspect because the other thing that's pretty clear from this book is that um, Kingpin, he actually describes himself as a good guy. Yeah. Like, he's like, Janus, 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 uh, Anus, I think you're a good guy, too. Uh, you know, like, he's describing himself as a good guy. Like, it's not like he's like, oh, I've made some bad choices or whatever. He's just like, no, I'm a good guy. Like, what I do is for the greater good. And, like, this is the way that the world needs to work sort of thing. So um, that that was another thing that I really liked about this book. And going back to what you were saying earlier, totally read the entire thing is Vincent, Nof- Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of guys that do bad shit for the right reasons, we got another comic book we're going to talk about, too. Go on. That's going to be The Walking Dead 157, and we're talking yeah. about Negan. Yeah. So, in our last issue, 156, Negan beheads Alpha, leader of the Whisperers. Um, Presumably with the intent to show Rick that he did that for yeah. him. So, um, 157, in uh, kind of surprise, because thus, at the, thus far, we, we basically assume Negan is a giant asshole. Um, one of the things that is interesting is that somewhere in the book he says, like, I was locked in that cell for two years. So after the events that, you know, we're going to get to see in Walking Dead Season 7 on TV, but, um, you know, 40 issues or so ago, 30 maybe, I don't remember, um, Negan is, like, the biggest, baddest dude, and he's been, he's locked away. Um, what's not clear entirely here is that's been a couple of years now. Like, Negan's been locked in that cell for two or two, two-ish years. You knew it was a long time because Rick has grown a beard in that time, and so did Negan when he was initially, like, after the, the war was over, the all-out war storyline was over, there was kind of a lull, and then, like, it kind of flashes forward quite a while because by yeah. the time you run into Negan again down in the cell, he's got a pretty massive beard at mm-hmm. that point. Um, and so, yeah, this issue we see him actually returning to the group. Um, he first runs into Dwight and his men. Um, and that- Dwight sees him and Dwight's just like, shoot the fucker. Shoot him right now. Like, don't even ask questions. They're like, uh, no, we're not going to do that because he's not armed. He's 
totally not a threat right now. So we're, we're going to take like, him no, back direct. Shoot him. And like, I kind of feel like we're setting that up because I think in like a few issues, you were like, you're going to be like, yep, Dwight, Dwight was right. We should have shot the fucker. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. This, the thing I like about reading the Walking Dead comic book is, um, Kirkman knows where he's going. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, there's he's not playing it by ear on any of these issues. Like, he's got a definite plan. Um, and and there's a little bit of that dialogue between uh, Rick and Andrea that kind of plays out too, because Rick's like, you know, did I make the right decision with Negan? This is after he. Um, Rick basically gives Negan a very, very, very conditional pardon. Um, so he basically says, okay, you don't have to stay locked in the cell, but you can't live in the community. You're going to be watched 24-7. If you so much as glance at somebody cross-eyed, we're going to put you down. Yeah, well, that's... Basically, Rick says, I'll give you an outpost. Yeah. And you're going to be alone there. We'll give you supplies as long as you're playing ball with us. Um, But you don't get to be here. And the condition of that deal is that he's got to help with the unco- the upcoming war that Rick knows is inevitable now that Negan has infiltrated uh, the ranks of the Whisperers and, and killed the Alpha. Uh, they didn't originally know that Negan was part of Rick's group or came from Rick's camp uh, until Rick's people followed Negan there trying to find him and whatnot. Um, Negan's whole point was, hey man, I tried to get in there by myself. Uh, it's your fault that they even realize I, I came from here. So if there's a war, like, yeah, you're that's, bad. that's only part on me. Um, and, uh, I was making a point at one point. Oh, the conversation between Rick, uh, Rick and Andrea, when he was talking to Andrea about, Hey, um, did I make the right decision giving Negan the, that deal? And she was like, well, do I trust Negan? No. And I thought you should have killed him a long time ago, but the longer it's been since then, the more I'm thinking that you were right because of what he's done for us now kind of a thing. Um, and she goes, so do I trust Negan? No, but do I trust you? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and you got to imagine that Kirkman had that line of dialogue planned out. It's not just that one line either because somebody else has similar things. Uh, It's Dwight actually. Yeah. Um, Rick, Rick is basically asking the same question of Dwight. Um, not exactly, but pretty much the same line of thinking like should we have killed Negan etc you know and Dwight's like I don't trust him and I'm not going to trust him but I trust you and blah yeah. blah blah we need you and so on yeah so and then same thing stuff. by the end of the book um the end of the book basically has the group going after um the whisperers Dwight's setting up his group where they need to be positioned yeah and Rick They've sitting scout yeah Rick sitting back back in back in the homestead basically um and he's saying like it feels weird not being out there and andrea's kind of like well you're too important now we can't send you out there uh and then you know the last panel is something like uh gabriel looking out from the bell tower at a horde of zombies yeah so uh yeah um i mentioned that i was going to talk technical comic book talk when we talked about this issue or an issue It, it is it's this one um this issue was done differently than a lot of comic books are. Um, and I don't know that many comic books did it in the past. I know one specific one that did use this particular style. Um, and that was uh, Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Mm. This comic book was done with a 16 panel format on each page. 
Okay. Um, and what that means is it doesn't mean that there's 16 panels on every page. What it means, though, is that the page can be broken up into 16 panels. So um, all the boxes, all the art boxes that you see um, on it could fit 16 panels otherwise. Yeah. Um, and some pages do have 16 panels on it. But um, anyway, it's it's an interesting choice. Uh, Kirkman actually is kind of one of his things when you need to have a lot of story being told. Um, on a particular page or pages, um, you can do that pretty well. That last montage page that you're talking about with Gabriel and the herd, and you see Rick talking to the crowd, and you see Dwight's people, and you see Negan, all the other stuff. It did its job really well. Um, I I liked it. I thought it was pretty cool, and I'm not... uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not like one of those guys. It's like, oh well, they, I can't believe they went 16 panel format instead of you know whatever. Like I, I, I just like it. Anytime somebody can think outside of the normal box and and tell a good story in a different way. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, looking back at the book now that you mentioned that, uh, I'm just kind of skimming through. And when he says 16 panel format, if you're not familiar. It's basically kind of like if you divide the book horizontally into four sections and then divide the book again uh, vertically into four sections, what he's saying is you don't have to use it exactly like that, like that, you know, that you'd get 16 boxes. What he's saying is, you know, that top column or that top row rather might be one single panel, but it takes up a quarter of the top page and the next panel or the next grouping down might take up four whole panels. Um, And now that I see it, I, I frankly can't unsee it. I, I really like it. <laughs> um, it's an interesting format, I think, to, to do a book in. And you get some really kind of interesting art because of that. Um, yeah, wow. And, and you know, vice versa, too. Like, this particular panel I'm looking at, which is close to the end of the book, with featuring the water tower, um, sort of like the left... You would, you know, it would basically be two columns if you were dividing it into that 4x4 uh, four four grid. Um you know, and then on the the right hand, you have, you know, sort of four panels stacked on top of each other. It's neat. Yeah. And I, I can't think of a lot of books that have happened that way, um, aside from The Dark Knight Returns. Like, that's you know, kind of the big one. It's I'm a little upset that I didn't notice it before, but it's almost like, a you know, like, okay, you're a pretty good comic book artist here now fit into this mold or, you know, not, not mold because that sounds like it's bad, but like now you do it with these constraints, like make something cool with these constraints. Um, and as it turns out, it's pretty cool. What, what's weird to me is like the panels that actually do have the, uh, the pages that actually do have 16 separate panels on them because there's a few of them in that book. And it's mm-hmm. like, basically you're telling uh, the artist, you're like, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to write or draw 16 fucking portraits. It is a little bit you like know? that. The, the one that I just was glancing through is basically a lot of different portraits, sort of like, yeah. um, you know, like characters and their reactions uh, sort of thing. Yeah, totally. So anyway, this book, um, 156 is one of my favorite Walking Dead comics that I've read in a really long time. Um, and this book was, I believe, uh, the Whisperer War issue one of six you're correct so um 
I, the I, next six months are going to be badass. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the story's going to pick up pretty quick. Uh, we already know with the herd being as close as they are and everything. So yeah, the next issue, you know, shit's got to go down essentially. And here's the thing about the herd: like we don't know that it's entirely a herd of of walkers. It could be whispers as well because they tend to travel with the herd. I, I I think actually that's almost a for sure thing, and like we're gonna see that happen in the next episode or issue rather. Yeah. So, um, now we're onto the DC stuff. Yeah. Of which there again this week there is a lot. All right. Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. Um. So we read Aquaman number three for me at least, and number four this week. Uh, Matt had already read number three because I had. He's a good podcast host. I'm just a nerd. Yeah. I mean, I was going to read those comics, but whether we were going to talk about it or not. But anyway, um, all right. So lead us in because uh, honestly, this is forgettable for me. Um, I, I do remember something along the lines of uh, this is actually uh, not. Actually, three and four were good issues to me. I thought the story was they, actually they more compelling. were, and I think it was mostly because I read them really fast. Following Manta's attack on the Spindrift station, uh, yeah, the United States basically was okay, like, "Nope, you guys can't have an embassy anymore." And they're like, "But this is Atlantean sovereign soil." And they're like, "Not anymore." Yeah, like, yeah, and it's cute that you think that, but we're the United States, and, and we do whatever the fuck we want. And, and so Arthur and Mira go to Washington. Yeah, and uh, they promptly arrest Arthur and uh, following well, an attack on a on a, U, a U.S. Uh, vessel. And it's not even fair, I think, to call it an attack because essentially the the attack happens, and then some Atlanteans show up to uh, investigate it. Merck, who we this know is, from that's previous issue issues. Four. Oh, okay, shit. They they arrest him because it was done um, by some terrorists that are claiming to be doing it in the name of Atlantis. And yeah. so they're like, well, you guys did it. And he was like, well, no, I didn't, but go ahead and arrest me. I'll, I'll go so that I can show you that I'm cooperating fully and all this good stuff. Yeah. He being Aquaman and Mira's like, seriously, bro. And he's like, no, we have to do this. You know, like I'm a good guy. And if I just, if I just capitulate with their bullshit, they're going to see I'm a good guy. Yeah. And so Mira goes along with good it. God, that's good beer. Yeah. I haven't even, I should taste it now. Yeah. One, two, three, go. Yeah. Um, so Bryce that, has joined us, although he's not on mic right now. Audible pause was brought to you by yeah. this, the um, Tanilla Porter. And he cracked one of his, his good beers that he brought down, which is called Tanilla. It is a vanilla porter. It's made by Knee Deep Brewing Company, and I've not actually had a bad beer from Knee Deep, so there this, you go. This definitely does not qualify as a bad beer. It's very tasty. No, it is super tasty. It's also 10% ABV, so, you know, drink it with caution. Yeah. And reckless abandon. I don't care. <laughs> I was going to say, or reckless abandon. And it's funny that you chose to use that phrase because that was the exact thing I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to Aquaman. Um, so, yeah, issue three has Arthur being arrested because of the attack on the ship. Um, and Mira choosing to follow Arthur's wishes and not do anything. Issue four opens up with Arthur being escorted to a cell and... Um, a bunch of white U.S. dudes being ignorant about things because they're like, "So, do you need yourself flooded with water?" Or like, <laughs> and he was like, "Really funny." He was like, "You don't, you don't really get this, do you?" 
that was super funny and then they're like we can take your cuffs off he's like yeah so could i like yeah. a long time ago so he's just like, don't bother that's adorable it was actually a little bit of a uh, reminiscent of the, the scene in man of steel when he's like uh look general and you know just he pulls just his arms stands apart up yes yeah. like yeah you did you really think these were doing anything that's adorable yeah. um so I, I i like that whole thing um e- even if it was a tiny bit derivative yeah no it was it was cool and um but then, like Eddie was alluding to earlier, we, we see Atlantis investigating the um, supposed Atlantean attack on the U.S. vessel. And um, Merck is like, nope. And he, he's reporting back, oh, what's her name? I can't remember her name. I didn't write it down. Tula. Tula, yeah. Um, who uh, Arthur has kind of appointed as the regent of uh, Atlantis while he's off trying to uh, bridge relations between the United States and, and Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And uh, Merck is reporting back to her, and he's like, "Nope, this was this was staged to look like an Atlantean attack. Like this, there's a ceremonial sword that's found there." And he's like, "No, self-respecting Atlantean would leave this here, but it was left here to point to Atlantis and this, that, and the other thing." Um, when suddenly they're set upon by United States investigators in scuba gear. Yeah, I mean, just imagine like uh, the United States, like somebody, somebody from the United States left an American flag draped over, you know, the the crime scene. That would be kind of the level of like stupidity. It was, yeah. It was. Uh, it was like when Jax took that dude that Opie killed, and and put up his fingers, like broke his fingers, and and like made the the, the niners, nine. yeah, to point it at, at a different <laughs> group. It's exactly like that. Yeah. Um. So we kind of leave the book with uh, basically Mira being like, well, fuck this. Uh, like, they're never going to give us a chance. She had a pretty heated conversation with the uh, chief of staff of yeah. the White House as well. So Yeah, and then, then she basically got pissed off and broke uh, um, Arthur out of jail. Yeah. Arthur, of course, being Aquaman. Um, and he's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And she's like, well, it's too late. And they're already all mad because somebody was there. <laughs> You're going to have to come with me now. Yeah. She's like, I kind of already set off all the alarms and what are we going to do? And the book closes with them basically escaping the facility, the facility right into a whole horde of army people. Yep. 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 Um, I'm actually you know, genuinely enjoying reading these lately like the first couple issues were pretty shaky but now the story's kind of hitting its stride and being, being yeah good. i said forgettable and i didn't really mean that because as soon as I, the words were out of my mouth I <laughs> what he meant was he forgot yeah in like the last four seconds and then as soon as the words were out of my mouth i started remembering things about the issue and and i actually really enjoyed both of these so um yeah aquaman pretty solid yeah batman number four yep so when we left Batman number three, we met uh, Hugo Strange and the Psycho Pirate. Yeah, and we met a little bit more about what Gotham and Gotham Girl are. Yep. And this issue opens up with um, a dude. Basically, um, well, there's there's some carnage that that's already happened, and then we kind of get a little bit of a flashback with uh, Gotham. We see a guy standing on a, on a ledge. It looks presumably he's going to jump and. Uh, Gotham shows up and he's like, no, I can help you. And, uh, turns out the dude's like, ah, you're right. I, I can, I, I don't need help. I'm going to blow everything up. Yeah. He, he was like, um, you know, uh, carrying a bomb essentially. Um, I, I assume this is probably something related to psycho pirate, but it's not directly said. Actually it is. Is it? Yeah. All right, fine. And in a little bit, 
Um, in fact, in the next couple of pages, because then um, through some detectiving that uh, Bruce is not necessarily doing, but he's having his little sidekick uh, at the cave do it, uh, it's discovered that this is actually um, part of Task Force X, which uh, is otherwise known as the Suicide Squad. And so um, we next see Amanda Waller talking with <laughs> General Sam Lane and... Sam Lane's like, Batman's not going to get close enough to touch you. And she's like, you're an idiot. Batman's right behind you. This is one of my favorite panels, actually. <laughs> He's like, we're like uh, seven miles down underground, and there's like 92 uh, tons of steel between us. There's no way Batman can get to us. And then Batman's like, tap, tap, tap. You know, like, yeah. I'm right here, bitch. Uh, so, uh, yeah. It, 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 this is one of the things that makes Batman comics for me. Batman like, did a lot of Batmaning in this particular issue. Yeah, it was it was the epitome of like, uh, yeah, no, actually, I'm Batman. Like, yeah. don't forget, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. So um, it turns out that Hugo Strange and Psycho Pirate were conscripted into the Suicide Squad, essentially. I especially like uh, in the same you know panel uh, page, essentially as. Uh, He's surprising General Lane after General Lane having shit talked. He, he basically just knocks just him out, grabs his face and shoves it into a wall. Yeah, it's like, well, it's that's cute. Grownups are talking now, you know, like yeah. Um, so this is the connection that I was talking about. That's very similar to some conversation from um. And okay, maybe this isn't necessarily similar to what happened in the movie. But just the fact that there's a Suicide Squad connection in it. I think that's rather deliberate, actually. They're pimping their wares. Yeah, I mean, they've got to be. This epi- this issue came out within, you know, a week a week before the premiere, I think. Not Two even days. a week, like a couple this, of these days. These came out on the 3rd and the movie opened on the 5th, so, yeah. So, yeah, that they're related is not a surprise at all to me. Yeah. Um, and essentially what happened is Hugo Strange and the Psycho Pirate that were supposed to be working for Waller went rogue. Mm-hmm. And uh, the psycho pirate has manipulated Gotham and Gotham Girl because um, he controls emotions and all that good stuff. And so Gotham is like now Mr. Fix-It Man and Gotham Girl is too scared to do anything other than be scared. Yeah. So. Um, Gotham also, um, that is the guy, the superhero Gotham also is sort of manipulated into fi- stumbling upon the scene of his dead parents um there's essentially one guard left there who be- is believed to be the perpetrator and batman's like you don't need to kill him and gotham's like yeah snap and yeah. He kills him uh and so you know again going on about how he can fix it he can fix it because that's the sort of manipulation that psycho pirate has given him and we leave the issue essentially with gotham saying like uh you're right fix it i can't fix it but the the fix essentially is destroying the entire city so gotham uh wants to destroy gotham yeah um irony and then I think the last line of the book is the monster men are coming or something. And, and um, this is actually leading us into a crossover series for the first time since the rebirth. Uh, we're going to get a multi-series um, event. And I believe it's called the March of the Monster Men, which is going to take place. It, it Actually, the last line is not. No? Right. First off, I'm not saying you're wrong, but the last line of this book is uh, Gotham saying, uh, I can't save Gotham, Batman. But I can kill it before any it hurts anyone else. And Batman saying no. Oh. No. No. Okay. Anyway. 
Right. I, I do think you're correct, though, because they've been kind of hinting at that for a while. We are getting a crossover, and it's going to take place across Batman, Detective, and Nightwing. Nice. So, uh, it'll be a six-issue series, so I think it's going to be two issues of each, and it's going to be September, October. So, I imagine we'll be seeing that. Maybe not the next issue of Batman, but by issue six for sure. Yeah. And our next issue we read this week was Green Arrow number four. Yeah. Man, I and, love the and number Arrow three. Books. You read number three as well. That's true. And actually, as I was watching or reading your Green Arrow three and four, I text Matt something along the lines of like, "It's like there's only a finite amount of good that Green Arrow can be, and and uh, the, the TV show and the comic all. book have to compete, and the comic book is stealing all of the good for itself, leaving the TV show to be nothing but bad." Um, so, um, Green so, Arrow number three. Uh, um, gosh, you know, I'm really digging Green Arrow in general because it's almost like they're watching the TV and TV show and they want to show exactly how stupid the TV show is going right now. And, and they're doing that in the book very, very well. Um, uh, secondarily, the, the art in this book is probably just about one of the favorites that I'm reading right now. Um, yeah. There are some phenomenal some panels, panels. Uh, you know, in particular uh, when they show when Virgil they show and the art surrounding the art Virgil surrounding is amazing. Virgil. The use of color the use of in these color books is books very, very is cool. Very, very cool. Um, gosh, mm-hmm. the gosh. art style in the itself is very, very cool. Very like, cool. like, I really enjoy this. So the Green Hour book so basically is talking about how... Uh, the, bad guy, uh, the bad guy, which is the guy that took Oliver Queen's company from him, whose name I cannot remember. It's the dude that was running. Yeah, he was like the CFO or something like that. Chief, yeah, he was the CFO, chief financial financial officer. Um, he actually is a leader of the the circle, the ninth circle, in fact. And he, well, he's one of the guys in the ninth circle. He's working, working for the ninth circle. And the ninth circle basically is like an underground bank. Like if you're a bad guy and you want some place to store, launder, loan, etc., your money, you'd go to the ninth circle. Um, very super secretive, etc., and so on. And the guy that just took Oliver's company from him is, uh, uh, you know, one of the chief liais- liaisons. He's he's very much a part of the organization. Um, we see in issue three Ollie breaking into uh, his own building and then um, interrupting a meeting with uh, the dude in the, in the rest of the night circle, or at least part of the night circle. Um, we also get to see more of Shadow and Emmy. Yeah. Um, in the parts that they play. Um, Shadow is basically honor bound to the night circle. And. Emmy by birth is two. You get a little bit of a hint that she's not totally down with just being, a tiny little one, but yes. But that that's yeah. kind of was set up in the last. Um, I don't think it was the last book. Issue two, I think. Yeah, it might have been issue two. Um, it seems like she's not entirely uh, loyal to the Ninth Circle, and even she Shadow. may have left uh, the killing of Oliver Queen open to him not dying. Yeah, you know. That kind of a thing. Um, and then you also see the subplot, which is Canary tracking things down and uh, investigating it from her angle as well, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, she basically realizes that these homeless people are being shipped somewhere, and so she follows kind of the um, the natural path to the, the shipping crates and whatnot. 
Um, Ollie, meanwhile, is uh, almost under arrest arrest from escaping his own building. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is interesting. Which is interesting. Um, And then the last panel we see is Canary, which the um, and I mentioned this in my notes last time. We didn't get to talk about it, but uh, the very last panel of the book is that it? That yeah, of just Canary sitting there like that's God, that's a beautiful fucking render. Honestly, like I I said, I really really like the art in Green Arrow, and this last panel is a it is so beautiful, like. First off, Canary is is pretty. Um, like, yeah, like, let's get that out of the way. Canary's hot, but like the way, I mean, the art is so good here. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to go on from there. Um, I just, I just really enjoy this. Like, I remember the first time I read it. Like, there's a huge amount of impact because of the way the story is told, but also because the art is phenomenal. The shading is done really well. Like, it's not just the pencils. Like, whoever's doing the coloring on this is is. Oh accentuating what's already been done with the pencils yeah. which is a nice combination in this particular artistic style like there's a few other panels that fall in line like this like when you see um uh like even that like the beam of light like so i'm sort of looking through the book right now and uh you know there's a scene you know basically after ollie escapes the tower he's fighting seattle pd and there's a lot of scenes in here that are just like phenomenally well done like the beam of light he all ollie's caught in a spotlight and he's fighting some other he's fighting shadow i think um and then later on you know he's like yelling at shadow and stuff like that and even the art there is really really well done um, and then there's another favorite scene of mine in the entire book or in the entire series, etc., um, which he's standing in front of the bus, you know, like getting stared down by the, uh, Seattle PD. But yeah, that, that scene of him standing in front of the bus and, uh, Canary on the boat, man, so good. So, so good. Like, uh, as I was reading it, I was like, Oh my gosh, that like, that is a standout. Like, it doesn't happen very often for me, but like, there's a couple of, of scenes in this book where I was like, oh man, like you could frame that. That is so good. Like, Google the Black Canary, and this is what I hope comes up. You know, like that good. Nope, I agree. Um, so with issue four, we see um, him. Him. Excuse me. Oliver. Probably yeah, escaping. Ollie yeah, escaping. Ollie. We see Ollie escaping the police, or trying to. Or trying to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see somebody um, kind of aid him, and we realize that very quickly that it's it's Dale. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> um, they have history. They have history. Obviously, they don't really elaborate on what that is. But it has to do with a woman. See, this is another like. Okay, uh, this entire story to me feels a little bit like a giant fuck you to the Arrow TV show because Diggle is not a comic book canon character, correct? Nope. Diggle is a TV show character who they've now spanned into the comic books. And this story in particular, I also very much like because it's like, well, you know, if they shot this and made it a TV show, it'd be a lot more interesting than what they're doing now. Well, this is this is funny because so I, I, I in my notes here, I, I talk about the um, Ollie and Diggle meeting, which was we just addressed that. And they like we said, they have a history. It has to do with a woman. We don't know what that is. No. Um. And then we we flash to Canary, who is uh, stealing her way onto the uh, Ninth Circle's big 
main boat um, only, to um, only to get herself caught. Yeah. Happens pretty fast, I think. Yeah. And then yeah. we flash back to Ollie and Dig, who uh, get into a, uh, a, a fight. And I have in my notes here, of course they do. <laughs> they, of course they do. Um, I kind of felt like that, too. But I also really liked it because, like, they're kicking the shit out of each other. And Diggle appears to be very mad. And Diggle kicks him off a bridge or something like that. And then Dig basically wins the fight. And then at the end of the day, they're like, okay, I deserve that. And he's like, yep, all right, now let's go focus on, you know, actually catching yeah. bad guys. I sort of. I, I sort of like cool. this because like it's this because it's like a classic trope like a almost, classic which is like the, uh, you know, uh, women will stab each other in the back for eternity and guys will just like punch each other in the fucking face and then it's over. Um, so this kind of like epitomizes that, I think, a little bit. And I I actually like that trope too. So I'm a sucker yeah. for tropes, whatever. Yeah. No. So um, they do that. And then um, the art. We see, um, we meet, uh, or we don't meet, we are reintroduced to the character of Henry V, or Fife, or whatever you want to say. Spelled like Fifth, but whatever, I don't know. Diggle basically tells him he's a piece of shit for abandoning Ollie and only wanting money. Um, so he reluctantly agrees to decrypt a laptop that Ollie has from the Ninth Circle. While doing so. While doing so. Uh, they get a call on the laptop. I assume it's FaceTime or something. Probably. You know. um, from the leader of the Ninth Circle. They, they pause for a second because it's Skype and Skype got all silent for a second. So they're like, okay, I'll disconnect. I'll call you right back. You just hang on a second. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what happens. It's in the, yeah. There's like eight panels dedicated to it. We've we've recorded the show via Skype and had the same thing happen. So <laughs> Yeah. Um. Anyway. So yeah, so yeah, uh, that's, why like that's why I feel like we've always done the show from my house. Because even when we were skyping, like I was still always at my house. <laughs> uh, so so they basically are like, hey, we have the canary. You have our laptop. We're gonna meet up, and you're gonna give us the laptop, and we'll release canary. And everybody's there like, eh, you're not gonna do that. Like they're like, he's obviously gonna fuck Ollie when he gets him. Um, and then, and so then, like the so like the last couple pages are them gearing up, and then they they go on. What I have on my, uh, notes, I have on my notes is assault on ugly guy HQ. <laughs> He's not wrong. Um, so once again, I want to point out the art in this book is phenomenal. Like. Which is how I know the dude's ugly. Like, okay, step one, yeah. The dude is ugly because he's super ugly. Like, and it's drawn in a very detailed way. Like, and again, uh, I, man, everybody on this book is firing on all cylinders. I really enjoy the writing. The pencil guy is obviously a phenomenal artist. Like, anatomy is something that's hard to get right consistently. And this guy fucking nails it. Like, you know, he draws a close-up of an eye and it looks really, really good. But that's not the only thing. Like, the colorist on this book, um, you know, there's a close-up of an eye, but the color that the colorist adds makes a humongous difference in what you actually see on the page. Um, you know, there's frames where you can see the pencil guy drew somebody sleeping on a pillow, and then the uh, colorist drew, you know, blinds and stuff across, you know, so like the, the light from the blinds shine through. Just amazing. There's a lot of different panels like that in this book that I that I just stop and I'm like, you know, like honestly, as much as comic books are an artistic medium for me, there's not a whole lot of comics that I stop and really look at and be like, oh shit, dude, that's really good. Um, Green Arrow is probably the, my favorite 
um, book that I'm reading as far as an artistic standpoint goes, uh, secondarily because there is a clear and distinct style to this book that I really, really like. And I think that's maybe just super amazing amounts of talent all packed into, you know, a certain amount of pages. I don't disagree. All right. Moving on. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Uh, that was the – they're, they're going to try and attack Ugly Dude. Yeah, Ugly Dude gets his uh, Day in the Sun. And that brings us to the next book, which is Green Lanterns number four. It's still kind of meh. It's still kind of meh. It is. You read number three, too, right? So um, I talked about number three last week because it was a book that you aren't particularly hot on. I'm not even particularly hot on it, but it is a Green Lantern book, so I'll read it. It's a Green Lantern book that Matt doesn't even really care that much about. Yeah, that should tell you. That should. A little bit. Um. Eddie's really struggling hard to figure out how his app on his tablet works. I figured it out. Shut up. Um, so we're not going to talk a lot of backstory about number three because I talked about it quite yeah. a bit. Um, the one thing I didn't mention, though, is that there's some kind of crazed little guardian that goes to to meet Simon Baz's family. Yeah, I like him. <laughs> I do. I do. He's one of the standouts from yeah. this book. Um, we do find out early in the book that the Hell Tower that um, that they need to destroy is actually not a tower that raises above the ground, but it actually goes down into yeah, the ground. Obviously, which makes sense, etc. Yeah. Uh, next thing in my notes is I have is our crazy guardian mentions um, somebody tampering with the time space continuum. I can only assume that's Doctor Manhattan. I also assume that's the correct. One of the so few this book that we've gotten of Manhattan or this book automatically gained extra points for me this week because of the fact that it does specifically mention that. Um, what else do I have? Oh, we have an actual moment of decent dialogue between Simon Baz and Jessica as well, because she was all ragey, and then they went down to the tunnel, and then she was all like, "I'm gonna kill you." Um, and then some shit blew up, and they all of a sudden were like, well, wait, here's the deal. Like, I don't think you're a great person as a partner, but you're what I've got, and I need you, and help me out. And she's like, well, whatever, maybe. Yeah. Um, she's kind of she's going through some self doubts, and and Simon Baz actually kind of like steps outside of his own personal feelings toward Jessica, and is like, well here's the deal like you've got some good qualities let's do this let's make it right <laughs> the, the cynic in me kind of read this like he was saying like yeah you're right you kind of suck but i don't see anybody else standing here so right and i can't get my battery without you so maybe pull your shit together for a second so one of us can save the fucking day i'm just saying yeah yeah um but it, it did come off as a little bit better um for them you know what i mean yeah. at the end of it I, I think that this is probably going to be looked back on as like one more moment where they kind of grow as a team right and so then they emerge from the hell tower and a cat barfs on them obviously obviously I read all the all the Red Lanterns books uh, from the New 52 so I, I, I know the cat pretty well I had no idea who the cat was and I was like alright yeah, sure he's a Red Lantern but Lion Cat you've yeah, yeah. gone a long way and then um, Atrocitus is like hey uh Here's the deal. You can walk away from this unscathed, then your family won't be harmed, but only one of you. So whoever that wants to be, like, you know, kill the other yeah. one. Yeah. And that's where we leave off. And that's where we fight each other to death. We'll see you in the next issue. Um, next up, Justice League number two. 
I also specifically mentioned in this one um, I had that the art is really good in this book as well. I um, it wasn't stand out to me, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so things kind of calmed down from the last issue a little bit. A little bit. Um, the 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 people that were like, "Hey, you stole our power," kind of stopped saying that, and they become more you know people again. Yeah. Um. Cyborg notices, Cyborg the notices that the whole thing is because there's some things in the crust of the earth and they are now in a they're on the downward part of their cycle so but it is cyclical so it's about to build back up and cause some more shit again I just read this and I was like well technical mumbo jumbo that means basically you know like I pictured in my mind like a tsunami sort of scenario like well, there's a tsunami now, and there's going to be one later, except for it's going to be worse. And that's yeah. fair to say, except for a tsunami slash earthquake slash volcanoes erupting. Like, it is a cataclysmic event. So, one of the things I had here, and Eddie was here, actually, when I was reading this book. And I, like I read one particular panel, and I was like, well, don't like that. Um, and that's because they are in the watchtower, which is just, you know, a satellite hovering above the Earth. And they're like, well, what about your rings? Can't you, like, find where these things are and, and figure out what's going on? And, like, you see the little ring pop up, and it's like, nope, can't detect it, or whatever. And Simon's like, yeah, we tried. We can't detect it from here. And I'm like, so a Green Lantern ring, the most powerful weapon in the universe, can't detect where these anomalies are from space. Mm-hmm. No, not buying it. It gets worse because, like, the next page is a whole fucking lot of these guys just basically surrounding the watchtower and heading towards Earth. Bunch of bugs. It's like, imagine you're flying through a storm of locusts and you 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 know you turn to your partner and you're like, hey, you see anything weird? And they're like, not really, as they get smacked in the face by the locusts. Yeah. Overall, though, I enjoyed this book. I did. I, I, I did. Mean, not, I, I mean, that didn't ring didn't well ring too well for me. Really I really liked Batman, Batman and his referencing Superman, Superman as simply yeah. Him. He is just a him at this point. Like, obviously, um, Batman still has a little bit of hard feelings because the Superman that we know now is not the new Fifty Two Supes that this Batman knows. And I like how that's playing out. Well, and to Batman's point, there was a lot of bad shit going on. During the new fifty-two, mm-hmm. and this guy was here, mm-hmm. and, has power. and has power, and was just like so. That was just like, so that first time when Darkseid invaded, this guy was just chilling, just hanging out, not doing anything. You know, when I read that too, I was like, wow, actually, old Earth Superman is kind of an asshole. Like, yeah. what the hell was he doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that bothered me a little bit because that 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 clearly is like a writing retcon sort of move, like. Um, Obviously, if you're writing Superman well, he would have been there. Like, it doesn't matter that they had it handled. Superman would have been there to make sure it was handled. So I think that they could have written that a little bit better. Like, they could have shown him in some way influencing the battle, even if it was from behind the scenes. Um, And that would have made more sense than just having him be like, oh, yeah, well, clearly he was, you know, know, obviously he just didn't care. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole point of that, though, is Batman basically has to go get Superman to bring him into this thing. Superman's, to be, in his, I mean, to his credit, is fighting 
whatever this evil is. Yeah, we is. talked about it last week. Like, Superman and other is parts. all yeah. over the fucking planet. And mm-hmm. everybody's just like, oh, he was just in... Wait, what? He fixed that already? Like, he, I think he just yeah. saved the president. Yeah. But but he's doing it independently. Like, right now, like, Wonder Woman basically tells Batman, you need to go bring him in, because this is the only way we're getting out of this. Is with all yeah, of I like that, actually, because Batman... You know, uh, that's the thing that makes Batman badass, is, like, Batman's like... He just... You know, you see Wonder Woman talking to him, and uh, finally at the towards the end of the issue, I think um, he's just kind of like not towards the end, but you know, last third or so. Batman's like divvying out plans, and uh, somebody's like, "What are you gonna do?" And he's like, "I'm gonna go get him." And it's just kind of like, "What do you mean you're gonna go get fucking Superman? He's he's been in like twelve different places in the last half a minute, like twelve different places on completely opposite ends of the globe," and it's like. I don't doubt that for a second because Batman's Batman. Yeah. 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 So that's where we live out there. A little bit of dialogue between him and Batman. But that's it. We'll have to wait until two weeks from now before we find out what's going on with that. Yeah. Now that you mention it, like the subtle differences in how they draw Superman in this, uh, this compared to the new 52... Like he is a little bit different than New Fifty Two Soups, and I like it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, next thing is Nightwing, number two. I'm gonna let you talk about Nightwing. I think you like this book more than I did. I'm still kind of mad about Nightwing. I like this particular issue better than I did the first two issues. Um, it, there was, it was cleverly written. I mm-hmm. thought. Um, when we left off with Nightwing number one, he had just met Raptor, mm-hmm. and Raptor kicked his ass. He did, and then all of a sudden, like we open this book, and Raptor's like, "So hey, buddy, let's let's go do what we got to do." And so they kind of talk about their little fight, and like Nightwing kind of talks about how like all superheroes do it, and he goes, "It's it's like the superhero equivalent of two guys getting together and drinking beer and talking about sports, like like specifically Batman and Superman. Like he's like mm-hmm. they do it all the time." Yeah, and I thought that was really clever. Um. There's a little bit of a Batgirl tie-in with this, too, because she's obviously in... Um, I think she's in Tokyo. Yep. And if you listened to last week's show, you know that we read the uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey rebirth as well as Batgirl number one. I don't think I had read Batgirl number one at that time, but I did read it this time. Yeah. And I actually enjoyed it. It wasn't standout or special, and I don't think we need to talk about it. But... Basically, Barbara Gordon goes on holiday to the Orient. Yep. Meets her hero... Um, what was her name? Fruit Bat? Fruit Bat, yeah. Yeah. Who was, who was a, like a 900-year-old lady. Yeah, she was like a superheroine in the 40s, and she looks all old and frail, except for she kicks ass. Yep. Yeah, I liked it. So there's a little bit of a tie-in with that. We didn't actually see Fruit Bat in this book, but she's there. Uh, yeah. The conversation between Raptor and Nightwing really had me in this one, though. Like, I didn't so much care what was going on in the story at mm-hmm. all. Um. But, like, they're just having these conversations, and they're, like, swimming in water, and Raptor says something to Dick, and he's like, oh, incidentally, there's a shark. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> I was like, eh, true. Um, and I actually like that, because they're like, oh, don't worry, he won't bother you unless he bothers, uh, unless you bother him. And then, like, the next panel, it's like, oh, uh yeah, I sprayed shark attractant on that guy. Uh, so that's I, why he's. I actually have shark attractant right here. Um, yeah. in my notes. Um, but what I thought was more clever is when he was talking to um, Dick was talking to him about 
his bird get up and he was like what are you i mean like <laughs> yeah. is this like just some kind of weird like like i forget the exact the exact line of dialogue and whatnot but like basically it comes down to like raptors is like well i work for the parliament of owls and birds are marketable like mm-hmm. and he he was like a lot like you know you as nightwing like he's like everybody knows that's just a brand extension from batman yeah i like that yeah a little um that was a little tongue-in-cheek on the nose because when nightwing started of course he was a little bit of a brand extension of batman so yeah exactly so overall i thought this was a step in the right direction for this book it's i mean it's never the first one i read when it comes out like there's there's other books that i'm just like yep gotta read this Mm -hmm. um but it was definitely heads and tails better than the rebirth issue and and even better than than last month's issue too like or last week's whenever it came out i don't know i think is it bi-weekly probably i think so it must be because i think yeah i'm yeah. pretty sure it is so let's talk about superman number 4 superman number 4 um i like this book actually i'm really really digging the superman title yeah i think i said this last week and this kind of pertains this week as well like as much as i didn't really care about what was happening in the new 52 soups i'm really on board for this superman yeah so um when we left off with uh superman 3 we had the eradicator and he was uh gonna try and erase the human dna from john Mm -hmm. um john wasn't really having that john kind of punched the eradicator's head off (laughs) and yeah uh, i liked it and released um, what the Eradicator had been storing, which was actually the Lost Souls of Krypton. Yeah. Um, kind of worked out not in Clark's favor for a little while. Uh, we also flashed to uh, a scene at a bar with a character that we've not seen since, oh, the mid-90s. Yeah. And that's the character of Bibbo. I was going to say, I don't know who you're talking about, so go mm-hmm. on. Bibbo, um, immediately following the death of Superman in the 90s from Doomsday, um, or at the hands of Doomsday, I should say, Bibbo was a bartender, but he was a huge Superman fan. Uh, Superman had saved him at one point in time uh, and uh, decided after Superman died that he was going to put a cape on and go out and like fight crime in his own neighborhood. No powers, no nothing. He was just just that dude. Yeah, um, and so I was really excited when they brought him back into the into the fold. I was like, "Hey, I know that guy." You know what's funny is that means that they either um, are the people writing this are either like humongous fans who remember a small character like that, or like they were like, "Okay, so you're gonna write the Superman book. Here's the homework. Here's the last hundred issues or so." Yeah, hundred is not fair. Actually, it'd probably be well more than that. No, these these books are definitely kind of the uh, probably more of an actual rebirth than a lot of the other books. Like it's really being treated. This this is almost kind of like, what if the last fucking twenty years didn't happen? Yeah. What if what if we had the reign of Superman right now and then just went from there? Can we just let's do that? Let's let's not not acknowledge what else was going on. It is. It's a nice blending actually because they managed to continue some of these older stories, but um. It maintains the continuity fairly well for the new stuff as well. Yeah. And the last thing I have in my notes is that the Eradicator, um, even after getting his head punched off, um, still kind of a force to be reckoned with. That guy is Yeah, like you truly can punch bad. the head off the Eradicator and that's no big deal. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like this. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I mean, my summary of this book is basically like I didn't care about New 52 Soups and I still probably don't, but this book is awesome. Yeah. Nope, I'm digging it. Let's talk a little bit about Suicide Squad because we have the rebirth issue of Suicide Squad. Yeah. So first off, having seen the movie, what did you think? Um, I think half of this book is almost straight out of the movie. See, it's interesting that you said that because I was kind of like, oh, this actually, you know, like based on the trailer, like I could see this being the plot of the movie. So we don't see Obama. No. (laughs) In in the movie. I didn't expect that Obama was going to do a cameo in the Suicide Squad movie, but whatever. Um, But that's where this book opens up is is he's basically telling Waller, you're done. And then for whatever reason, he's like, no, we can't be done. And he's like, okay, fine. I approve. <laughs> yeah. It it was literally like, I don't agree with any of this. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with this. Oh, you said you don't want to stop? Okay, fine. Yeah. Whatever we need to do to get this comic book rolling, let's let's go. Yeah. Um It's a good thing we had this speech for the last, you know, two or three pages. So then she talks about this dude named Rick Flag. Colonel Flag. Yep. Who she makes out to be like the Captain America without superpowers, essentially like uh, I'll fight in the good fight. Yep. Um, character from the movie. Yep. Don't know enough about the Suicide Squad to know if Colonel Flag was there before that or not. No, in the comic book, it turns out he's not the greatest guy. Um, no, he may. Well, have been- he is. He actually to a fault. Yeah, he he's a good guy. It seems like he was probably framed for something, but he's in jail for a long time. And where she had painted him like, oh, you know, this is an active serving member who is going to want to help and be the greatest, you know, whatever, whatever. We, we actually find him in Gitmo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he refused to comply with an order that was going to put his men in danger. They all actually went with the order. Uh, and totally died. died. Yeah, so he was completely right but um i don't know this book is a lot like the movie in in that like he's in it it's kind of her convinced like pleading her case which is exactly like the movie Mm -hmm. um and then we kind of get a brief introduction to the the core of the suicide squad in this case which is harley uh captain boomerang Mm -hmm. and deathstroke yeah or not deathstroke fucking um deadshot Yes. Um, I caught it myself that time. See you guys. Well done. I didn't have to even go track down a Nerf gun. <laughs> of course it's on your side. Of course. Um, this book wasn't special to me either. No. Um, one thing I did notice that was outstanding. Uh, Harley, in one particular scene, I think it was the splash page where you first see the squad yeah her boots are like batman's now yeah they have tread on the bottom yeah i did actually see that and i don't remember where i was reading about that but that was a not something insignificant to a lot of people that was that was my takeaway from this book is there's tread on her boots much like jim lee brought tread to batman's boots yeah obviously that is why you should read this book yeah there you go there's tread um <clears throat> my problem with this book is less so with this book and more so with the next book 
mm-hmm. because they're very incongruous. They're not complimentary. No. In this book, Harley is part of the Suicide Squad, but in Harley Quinn number one, which also came out this week, um, it's like she's moved way beyond that point in her life. Yeah, okay, first off, let's just get it out there. Did not like Harley Quinn number one. No. Here's the thing. I didn't read any of Harley Quinn from the New 52 at all. Nor did I, and it seems like they had a tiny, tiny little callback in there. Uh, I think this book directly follows it, which is not not necessarily the way the rest of the Rebirth books have gone. So that's why I'm just like, well, I don't understand this. No, that was a little weird. Like to me, like if it's going to directly follow New 52, it sort of screams like, oh, everything we did in the previous incarnation was correct. So we're just going to stick with that. Okay, so this book opens basically with Harley and Ivy having a sauna, and what can I? What I can only be assumed is like uh, um, extremely hard up fan fiction. Um, yeah, and like, this is this is actually probably my favorite part part of this book. Which, um, yeah, but it's funny because they're they're in a spa mm-hmm. and getting you know everything that you'd get done in a spa and whatnot. Harley even massages. specifically says like, who's going to rub my butt? Like the, I like, had this in my notes. I have this in my notes. Cause the masseuse, like that's you, you kind of see him off camera. Cause all you can see is his hands. He's like, I don't massage butts. And she was like, well, that's too bad. Cause mine's a fun factory. And I was yeah. like, all right. <laughs> it, and, and actually from, from the, the panels, you can tell the masseuse is a girl. Yeah. Well, that's, so, I, my anyway, notes specifically just say Harley's Fun Factory, and that's just. <laughs> um, I read this and I was like, "Man, is this written by a thirteen-year-old boy?" Because it seems like, yeah, everything up until it gets into the main story, which is Harley starting to basically tell her backstory to an entire crowd of people, like she's a punk rock artist, and then it gets into the weird zombie shit, which I don't get at all. Harley backstory, then comes the weird zombie shit. Yeah, um, Harley backstory though, the Harley Joker origin with her, with him like pushing her into the pit. Yeah, or the vat of whatever that is. Straight out of Suicide Squad. Like I don't mind that. That part is fine. And then it's like, okay, so we're surrounded. We we open the book with this like weird sort of uh, preteens. Uh, um. um uh, uh, semi-erotic fan fiction and then we go into the Harley Pack story which is actually kind of fine and then we get to this weird like alien lands on earth it gets turned into a cow who gets turns into himself ham- into a cow who who turns himself you know like basically lets himself get turned into hamburger who gets eaten by a bunch of people who basically turn into zombies like this book is weird and I don't think I like it yeah so here's the sum total of my notes Harley's Fun Factory, because I thought that was ridiculous clever, (laughs) and because I can just picture Margot Robbie saying that. Like reading those panels, I was like, okay. I mean, I kind like I could kind of see where this book is going. Like they're doing it because Harley Quinn is a, uh, I don't know. Like it's not too far from the imagination to picture her being like. Uh, an erotic character like all that kind of you know sort of promiscuity sort of stuff but it just goes off the rails from there it does um i had the harley joker origin in my notes and then 
the other dude that she keeps talking about that keeps hitting on her, he has tools and his dialogue boxes are all shaped like different tools. Yeah. That's the takeaway. Yeah. And there's way too much dialogue in this book for the story it's trying to tell. Like, way, you know way too much. I didn't even catch that his dialogue boxes are shaped like tools. Yeah. But they totally are. Yeah. Way too much dialogue. Oh, I feel really dumb now. Took me forever to get through this book. It did, but, you know, that's also partly because this story... I don't care about this story at all. No. I'm probably not going to read issue two. I don't care. I, I doubt it. Yeah. I, which is too bad because I like Harley as a character. My big problem with this, though, is like we just read Suicide Squad Rebirth, right? Where Harley is definitely part of the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Definitely not part of the Suicide Squad in this book. Like, she talks about how she's way past yeah. that. Secondarily, like, Harley Quinn is a character with zero powers. Like, and the response to that is not to put her in, like, you know, like, gritty sort of, like, you can picture it on HBO situations, but, like, completely off-the-wall zany sort of bullshit crazy situations that don't make any sense. Yeah. Anyway. So, that's it. That's our, our show for the week. That's our comic books. That's, you know, the two other things that we talked about before that. Very important two other things, though. Let's not downplay oh, it. This is the best show you've ever listened to. Yeah, don't get us wrong. Like, we had two things to talk about, and we managed to stretch that into two and a half hours, so. Yeah. There you um, go. Yeah. Uh, if you like this and more random ramblings, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash show. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com, uh, or sorry, rather, at show. <laughs> you fucked up. See, we How did it better last week. How many times have we been doing this? Last okay. week we did it way okay. better. Where can you email us at? You can email your questions to us at questions at whatever.co. Yeah, and we also like ratings from iTunes. We um, do a lot. If you can go on iTunes and give us a rating or subscribe, that would be super helpful. Even better, if you could subscribe and tell your friends, we would also really like that, Here's too. the deal with iTunes. iTunes doesn't care if you like our show or not as long as you hit the subscribe button. It doesn't. So you could go on, and even if you leave us a very poor rating, just subscribe to the show and then mark it as played every week. We're fine with that. Yeah. And it's fine. You could be like, well, at least they're trying. And like, give us a sympathy subscribe. It's yeah. fine do that yeah we like that like it's it's kind of like if you're a girl and you're getting ready to break up your boyfriend but you give him that last that last just sympathy fuck right before you <laughs> you drop the ball on him yeah that's us do yeah. that yeah all right everybody we will see you next week later <laughs>